This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, folks? My Take Radio, episode 120 for Thursday, December 15th, 2011. The intro music you just heard was Carol of the Bells by August Burns Red. You can find that on iTunes or in the Amazon MP3 marketplace. The call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number is 347-324-3541. If you'd like to leave feedback which will be played on air. The call-in number is 347-815-0MTR, 347-815-0687. This week's episode of My Take Radio is brought to you, brought to you by the Stitcher app. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take, enter the my take promo code, and you'll be entered to win a $100 gift card. The Stitcher app is a great alternative to downloading MP3s and needing to sync your phones and filling it up with dozens of MP3s for your favorite shows. The Stitcher app will allow you to stream your show directly via Wi-Fi or 3G or in some cases 4G to your iPhone, Android, WebOS or BlackBerry devices. All you got to do, like I said, is head over to Stitcher.com forward slash my take radio, well, forward slash my take and enter my take in the promo code. And you will get the app and the opportunity to win a $100 gift card. We got a lot of housekeeping to get out of the way this week. Obviously, you guys know that the forums are officially offline. And um, we are looking in towards doing something else. Well, looking towards doing something else after the new year. There's a couple of little things we are working on behind behind the scenes for you guys. Some of it will be completely different. Some of it will be... Um, additions to existing My Take Radio stuff, but be on the lookout for that come January. I'll start making some announcements probably right after the new year. In addition to that, we are also looking to probably start making some changes to the format, not in terms of doing away with segments, but there has been a lot of debate in terms of going to a taped show and breaking up the segments into smaller shows only because it's easily accessible for listeners and would allow us to focus our energies on other stuff. It's still being weighed out. I mean, I do enjoy the live format. I like what it offers. So for the time being, we will remain live while we test out a couple of other things behind the scenes. But it can change at any time. And of course, I will keep you guys up to date either on MyTakeRadio.com or on our Facebook fan page. I did notice that our Facebook fan page has been stuck on 1,666 fans. Make of that what you will, but that seems to be where we are. Our target is to hit 2,000 fans before the year is out. I'm sure we can do it. If you know anybody that likes 
most of the stuff that we cover, by all means, feel free to recommend MTR to them. We're always looking to entertain new listeners, so make sure to just pass it along. And all the different ways that you can listen to the show will make it appealing to a lot of people. In some other show news, I looked at our Stitcher numbers recently. It seems that people have consumed over 18,000 minutes of MTR which is fantastic. The way that they do their algorithms are based on how many minutes people stream of your show. We've been added to many favorites. I think we're listed in at least 20 subscribers' favorites. And we also are getting a lot of traffic. More people are checking out the site, so definitely appreciate all of those that are using Stitcher to listen to the show. We appreciate it. The Mixler feed seems to be in order. Last week and the week prior, we had a couple of issues with Mixler, but we are currently simulcasting with Mixler onto the Facebook fan page, so you can also listen to the show that way. Get Glue, I'm not going to go into it. You guys know the deal with that. We do have our t-shirts. You can pick them up in the MTR t-shirt store. Just click the tab, head over there, and you'll be able to pick up an MTR t-shirt, hoodie, or zipper excuse me, or zippered sweatshirt. You can also help out MTR by doing your holiday shopping via our Amazon affiliate store. All you do is go through that store to do any of your holiday shopping, helps out MTR, you'll get the same service you know and love from Amazon, but with a little assistance for us. So if you are interested in getting some holiday shopping done and you are an Amazon shopper, make sure to check out the Amazon store on MyTakeRadio.com. Like I said, it's a great way to help us out, and you'll still get a lot of holiday shopping out of the way. My guests this evening are... I'm actually going to have two guests, and we're going to be discussing the video game documentary The King of Chinatown. I'm going to be speaking with the director and producer, Calvin Theobald, and also going to be joined by his editor and producer, Jordan Levinson. They'll both be joining us at around 11.30. We're going to discuss... Uh, gaming culture with regards to the fighting game community and all the work that went into the King of Chinatown documentary. So they will be joining us at 1130. And the funny thing is that I actually had the opportunity to see some of that documentary um, just through YouTube and a couple of different outlets because people recommended it to me for um, the reasons being that I am a, a fight fan. And I actually saw a lot of names and faces that I know either because they've been on the show before or just because we've discussed them. Gamers like Justin Wong, Prodigy, um, Daigo, of course, is on there. So be on the lookout for that film, which will be available for purchase in iTunes as well. I believe now you can rent it. And last I check, you can probably purchase it as well, but I will confirm it uh, with those guys when they come on air at 11:30. So if you are a fight fan and you want to check this out, they will make sure to give you all the details about it. But if you don't want to wait till 11:30, you can head over to their official website which is kingofchinatown.com that breaks down screenings of the film, merchandise you can pick up, uh where you can buy the film and also ways to keep up with the film via social media, whether it be Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube. They will be joining us at 11.30. In some other news, which I wanted to get involved, well, I wanted to get off my chest with you guys, we have noticed a bit of an issue with downloads that are happening from other outlets, primarily people that are using the Zune Marketplace, BlackBerry, 
and I believe also probably Podio. So if you guys are using any of those services and are experiencing any difficulties in getting the show, please send me an email because you'll be able to get the show either through our Mixler feed, through iTunes, through Blog Talk Radio. We have a couple of alternate ways that you can get the the newest episodes of MTR. If those podcatchers are not updating in a timely fashion, please let me know so I can contact them. I've reached out to a couple of guys already from Zune Marketplace and BlackBerry, and we are starting to get that stuff squared away. But if you do notice any issues with regards to whatever podcatcher you are using, please let me know because I would like to get that squared away and would like as many people as possible to get the shows as quick as possible. Our exclusive programming this week, we had a, we still have MTR Beyond the Mic with Stephen Brooks from Rubber Onion Animation. Um, a lot of people have given me tremendous feedback with regards to learning so much more about the inner workings of animation. Uh, Stephen Brooks is, a, is just a kick-ass dude. I had a blast talking to him. That interview actually was edited down from a little over two hours, and there was a couple of things that needed to be cut out. But I had a blast talking to him, and we're probably going to try and do one more either MTR Behind the Mic or MTR Beyond the Mic broadcast before we close out 2011. The other thing I did want to mention is that the schedule as of right now has shows for the next two weeks. That is subject to change given the holiday season. Um, more than likely there will be a live show next week. If there's not, I will let you know. And probably for the end of the month, I did want to do a panel leading up to UFC 141 with Lesnar and Overeem, but my batteries need a bit of a recharge. So I may actually take that week off and maybe throw up some audio from 2006 MTR, which I'm sure you guys will get a kick out of. So be on the lookout for those updates probably by late Tuesday. If there's going to be a show that week, I will let you know by no later than Tuesday. But for the last week of 2011, there's almost an 80% chance that there will not be a show. So figured you guys would want to know that. Tonight's topics, we're going to talk about UFC 140, which was phenomenal. I got to actually use the Xbox Live UFC app to watch it, so I want to discuss that a little bit. We're going to talk about Monday Night Raw. I want to get into the tribute for the troops. A couple of things that are going on with MMA news, including the future of Strike Force. We got MPD numbers on the game front. Uh, we got some movie news. We are going to talk about China's new job, which is escorting. You guys are going to get a kick out of that. I believe we have some what-the-fuck movie news, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, I see that Slick wrote barf across the screen, so I figured he would probably be appalled at hearing that, but it's an interesting news story I want to share with you guys. Now, not to chew up a lot of time going through this week's stuff, I wanted to get into this week's monologue, and what I wanted to discuss was my visit to the Nintendo store in Rockefeller Center recently. And the funny thing about going to the Nintendo store is that when you go there, it's such a trip down memory lane. There's so many nostalgic things there, old DSs, Super Nintendo. There's also apparel. There's a huge Pokemon section on the first floor. But what I wanted to discuss about my visit to that store is the fact that there is such a level of quality with the products you're getting from Nintendo. 
everything you're buying there is a licensed Nintendo product. There's no aftermarket third-party bullshit that you're picking up. You're getting you're getting first-party products, and you're actually getting really good service. the The beauty of the Nintendo Store for me is always just a, another great trip down memory lane. But the other thing I enjoy is that I get to see certain things that I may have never seen before, and I try to keep up with as many things collectible-wise related to gaming as I can, but some things do slip through the cracks. I actually got to take a lot of photos of the Zelda display for the anniversary of Zelda, and of course, Zelda was awarded a an award the, this past weekend at the Spike VGA Awards, which I also want to discuss in the monologue a little bit. If you are a New York resident and you haven't been to the to the Nintendo store, I recommend you check it out. Like I said, it's a, it's a it's a cool place to go and you can get so many awesome pictures. And not only that, during the holiday season, you get to see the tree at Rockefeller Center, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you know, all the typical holiday stuff you all know and love. I will give you one small tip though. If you are going to go to the Nintendo store, try and do it during the week. That place during the weekend is a madhouse, but during the week you can get in, you can wander around, play some games, take some photos of some displays, nobody really bugs you, so definitely a solid recommendation if you're a gamer or even a Nintendo enthusiast, so definitely check that out. The other thing I wanted to talk about a little bit, and I didn't want to throw it into the gaming segment, were the Spike VGAs. There are certain parts of the VGAs which I will discuss in the gaming segment, but I want to just discuss the overall presentation, which bothered me only because it, it, it continues to feel like a shill, like a constant shill of products and games and bullshit. It all, it, they should really just call it Trailer Fest 2011 because there's a thousand trailers, some awkward dialogue, some awards are given out, some of the better awards are given out off screen. Um, guys like Mark Hamill were, were, were really bent out of shape because they didn't even get a chance to go on stage, they were sitting off camera, they weren't even shown, things like that definitely ruffled feathers for this year's VGA Awards. Of course, the other thing that ruffled a lot of feathers were some of the um, awards that were given out and some of the categories that were chosen, and I will discuss that in the gaming segment, I think that the VGA Awards, while they are good in theory, the execution varies from year to year, some years it's complete dog shit, and Slick can tell you because he came here one year to watch the awards, and other times it feels like they're on the cusp of getting it right, but then they fuck it up. I will give credit to Zach Levi, it's great to get a celebrity who actually has a grasp of quote-unquote nerd culture um the beauty of of it all to me is just the fact that the mainstreaming of the event as a whole has gotten has gotten better but with the mainstream appeal that it's getting it's also kind of throwing in the towel and coming up with all these weird award categories i think that if you want to go down the list you should really break it up to simple genres you know best game in best action adventure, best horror game, best sports game, best FPS. Keep it real basic. Don't come up with, you know, Vanguard super impressive game stat of the year award. Nobody gives a shit about that. People want to know about the best games in their respective categories and the game of the year. And if you want to acknowledge a celebrity or someone that was involved in a project or you want to induct a game into the Hall of Fame, I'm all for that. 
I just feel that the pacing in general just seems random. There was a soldier that was like teabagging Zach Levi on television, and I'm, it, it really had no place in an award show, and that's one of the things that a lot of gamers get shit about is just the, the immature presentation of our interests. And to some extent, I have to agree. I, I do give kudos to Spike for, for doing that, and the same thing that they do with the Scream Awards. I have no problems with it, but please, folks, do your homework. Apply as much research as possible to the games you put. There are games that came out three weeks ago that were being listed in there versus games that have been out for a while. And a lot of people took to Twitter and took Spike TV and the the VGAs and even some of the personalities to task. Jeff Keighley got a lot of static on Twitter for various things that were announced, and some things were out of his control. To sum things up, the overall presentation was, you know, it was it was okay. Would I have gone out of my way to see it? No, I actually DVR'd most of it because, you know, UFC 140 was on, but it was enjoyable. But can it be better? Absolutely. All right, I'm not going to beat this up anymore. We are going to get right into the MMA news because I, I really want to discuss UFC 140. UFC 140, main event, Jones, Machida, co-main event, Frank Mir, Minotaro Nogueira, Tito Ortiz, and Little Nog were also on the card. First thing I want to discuss is the Xbox Live presentation. I got to see the pay-per-view on Xbox Live thanks to our friends at MMA Valor. Um, you can check out my write-up for that on MyTakeRadio.com, and you can also see a video, a video walkthrough on TV on YouTube. Now... Watching it on Xbox Live, there were a couple of little things that really enhanced the broadcast between your fight picks and if your fights went to the result that you picked in your picks, you'd get a little a little update with your scores. You can also pull up the tail of the tape going into the fight. The experience overall was solid, and not only that, but you can order the pay-per-views in HD or standard definition, and you don't have to use Microsoft Points. You can actually do it with your credit card. So if you guys don't want to waste your time dealing with the cable company for whatever reason, either maybe somebody's using the cable box, you can enjoy a UFC pay-per-view on Xbox Live with minimal issue. Now, the card itself, top to bottom, was ridiculous. There were a lot of really great fights, and um, I'm not going to go through all of them, of course. I'm going to just talk about one fight that was broadcast on Ion, it wasn't on Spike TV due to the VGAs, and that was Igor Porkryat and Christoph Szczynski, that was at light heavyweight, and I really was expecting Christoph to come in there and do the typical stand and bang that he's done with uh, guys like Stefan Bonner, but Porkryat was having none of that, he actually ended up getting KO'd against the fence, it was, it was ridiculous, it was so insane the way it went down, and the way that, uh, so Shimsky went hit the ground. I was like, "Holy shit, this guy's knocked unconscious." It was a uh, an amazing knockout for, from Igor Prokryats, and it, it was quick and vicious. Thirty five seconds in the first round. Moving into the main card, Chan Sung Jung and Mark Hominick opened things up on the featherweight side of things. I expected Mark Hominick to come in there and set the pace with his great striking, and use that to set up 
takedowns on the Korean zombie, but it turned out that it was not going to be the case. The Korean zombie shocked everybody by taking out Mark Hominick via knockout. And a lot of people were attributing Mark Hominick's performance to the passing of his trainer, Sean Tompkins, and also the pressure of being in Canada, etc., etc. It was a huge moment. And Mark Hominick came out, he had a, a wild swing, which left his chin open to get caught by the Korean zombie. Korean zombie, very formulaic, knocked him to the ground. He was already out, dropped one or two shots just to make sure, and that was it. Hominick was clean. Um, when Hominick got out, he, when Hominick woke up, he protested the, the, the decision, but he was out on his feet. You can even see it on the replay. Uh, the Korean zombie, very impressive. A lot of people on Twitter took to acknowledging that victory with an asterisk. They felt that Mark Hominick was not in the was not in the zone, like I said, based on the uh, Sean Tompkins situation. But again, anybody can get caught, and don't you know? People shouldn't go like I always say. Don't be a fickle fan, and really. Just acknowledge the sport for what it is. It's a pastime. It's enjoyable. And people get caught. Simple as that. I mean, I was bummed for Hominick. He came off that really great performance against Jose Aldo. Even though he came out on the losing end, he really showed the heart of a warrior in that fight. And he got caught this time. Moving on, I would go through the welterweights, but all I'll say is that Brian Ebersol did win by split decision. I want to talk about the welterweight bout with Little Nog and Tito. Tito came out, obviously, now with his new moniker, the People's Champion, and it, it was a very interesting fight. Tito was super aggressive. He came out, he was really trying to get in, use a lot of his, uh, a lot of his striking to set up takedowns for ground and pound. Noguera has really good stand-up, and at one point, the uh, Noguera caught Tito in, in the abdomen with a knee, at which point Tito went to the ground, and Noguera was really working the ground game, but... There was a point towards the end of the fight where Noguera started landing shots on Tito's body, and it's been said Tito injured his rib, or maybe he broke his rib, or he cracked his rib, but the fight had to be stopped. Uh, TKO round one. It was it were it really were there really were some aggressive body shots in that fight. I was you can actually see it on Tito's face that that he was wincing in pain just from the shots he was taking. I give him credit. He got caught. But he had a really great performance. A lot of people were saying, oh, you know, this is Tito's this is Tito's swan song. After the fight, Tito spoke with Rogan and said he has one more fight left on his contract. He wants to go out in, in, in epic style. Some people are saying he wants to have one more match with Forrest Griffin. Who knows? But I think that for as many fights as Tito's had, it would be fitting that he goes out on his terms. If this is the last fight of his contract and he wants to fight one last fight and retire... Give him the fight he wants. I think a fight with Forrest would generate a lot of hype. It would be a great way to close out a career. And honestly, if you want a great ambassador for the sport of mixed martial arts, Tito Ortiz is your man. He's charismatic, great on the microphone, knows his way around every aspect of MMA, and he's just a personality that's larger than life that can sell mainstream exposure. Front office job for him, commentary job for him, either is fantastic. Moving into the co-main event, um, Antonio Minotauro Noguera took on Frank Mir, and 
it was a it was a, a pretty much a very very well played chess match early on between both fighters. Both guys got great jujitsu on the ground. Frank Mir has really crisp stand up, and Mir was coming into this fight with a knockout victory on Nogueira. You know, Nogueira wanted his revenge, and it was crazy because the way it went down, Nogueira actually stunned Mir on his feet. Mir looked very dizzy. Um, some people say that he he was out on his feet. At which point the fight went to the ground. There was a a beautiful jujitsu exchange between both guys. All of a sudden Frank Mir locked in a Kimura, and Nogueira tried to roll out of it, but Mir had a had a vice like hold, which he ended up holding on and Nogueira taps. But the crazy thing about the tap was that they show a replay and Nogueira's arm was broken. The funny thing was, you know, Nogueira, he was a warrior. He was in such a, a situation that, that probably must have been excruciating pain. And the guy just, he went on until he couldn't go on anymore. And you had to pretty much break his arm to get him to tap. Great performance by Mir, amazing amazing submission. It opens up a ton of questions about what Frank Mir's future is. There were a lot of rumors going into UFC 141, which I'll discuss later on in the segment. But the the beauty of it was just the exchange, the great jujitsu between both fighters and the way that fight ended. On the light heavyweight side of things, John Jones was defending his light heavyweight title against Lyoto Machida. Round one, Lyoto Machida using his elusive style with great counter-striking. Um, it was funny because he did tag Jones in the face. Jones did stagger back a little bit, um, but he was okay. He held on. Uh, Jones was throwing a, a couple of crazy kicks, you know, the typical John Jones offense. Machida was fighting smart, fighting elusive. And they, I really wanted to say that Machida got the better of the exchange in the first round. John Jones proved that he can take a punch, but... In proving that, he did not like to get hit because you can kind of see it on his face. He's like, no, nah, I didn't like that. Round two, though, Jones definitely pressed the action and he ended up opening a nasty gash on Machida's forehead. Machida was leaking um, in that round and that definitely was the beginning of the end. It, they had a really great exchange in the clinch and from the clinch, John Jones secures a standing guillotine. With them long-ass limbs he's got. And Machida got choked unconscious and just fell to the fell to the mat in a heap once John Jones let go. Uh, very impressive performance from Jones. But like I, like I said, and I, I talked to a couple of people about it, I said there was definitely a little dent in his armor. He definitely wasn't super unstoppable. But the, the beauty of it all was just the fact that Machida went in there and he set the pace so well against Jones using great striking. And the problem is, and a lot of people have said this, John Jones is the new generation of mixed martial artists. He is uh, multifaceted. He has strong, strong basis in every discipline he studies. And that's really not just him, but a lot of new fighters. They're becoming so well-rounded where it's not that they have one strong base and then ancillary styles added to it. These are guys that are now fully well-versed in Muay Thai, uh, wrestling, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. They have all the tools now to become a complete fighter, and that's posing a problem for some of these guys that have done, like I said, added ancillary tools to their repertoire. Great performance from Jones. There was there was some controversy, which a lot of people started playing on after, and I did want to reference it. And that was when 
uh, Greg, Coach Greg Jackson was yelling to John Jones to go and check on Machida and to get some fans. Now, a lot of people have interpreted this as, you know, just really careless of Jones, not going over to check on Machida. Some people feel that it was a scumbag move by Greg Jackson telling him to, you know, go and do the right thing so you could gain some fans. It's it's such a gray area and left open to interpretation, but I will say that it really was poorly worded. And when you do hear it, you do say, wow, John Jones is a really shitty individual. He choked the guy unconscious. The guy hit the mat like a sack of potatoes. Go and check on your opponent. It's the least you could do. It's a it's a good gesture and a sign of respect. Hearing Greg Jackson do that, of course, he's gone on record saying that he said it for to ensure that Jones was in the moment, etc., 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 blah, blah, blah. And I think... Um, it was just poor timing and and really poor wording from the part of uh, Greg Jackson, and I think that's definitely gonna hurt John Jones a little bit. But we'll see how that pans out. I am gonna get into some MMA news before 11:30. I just want to touch on a couple of things. Uh, Miguel Torres, I discussed last week on MMA Gospel and also on MTR, was let go by the UFC based on his uh, rape tweet. Or his rape joke, which, uh, just to repeat what he said, he said that if a rape van was called a surprise van, more women wouldn't mind going for rides in them. Which, of course, was a joke that was an homage to Comedy Central's workaholics. He did release a statement after being released by the UFC, and I wanted to share that with you guys. He says, I have a lot to be thankful for in my life. I have a beautiful wife and daughter, my family, my health, my gym, and in terms of my career, I succeeded to the biggest stage in the sport of mixed martial arts, the Ultimate Fighting Championship. I am very sorry for upsetting my bosses at the UFC and also to my fans and everyone else who was upset by the language in my tweets. I understand it was wrong and I meant no harm or disrespect. Given the chance, I will do whatever it takes to make things right. I'm going to learn from this. I think life throws you opportunities that can make you a better person. And so that's what I'm going to do from here. That is how I'm going to react. I'm going to use this to improve myself, and I hope that my fans will continue to support me. Now, very, it was a very well-placed, eloquent statement from Miguel Torres, and I applaud him for doing so. My only issue, which, I, which I've discussed at length last week and also on MMA Gospel, is just the fact that there has to be a definitive structure as to how you're going to discipline your athletes. If your conduct is in poor taste... There should be penalties, there should be um, awareness and training, and I've discussed this also at length on MMA Gospel. I think that the UFC really needs to institute something along the lines of what the NBA or the NFL does with entering rookies, where you put them in a seminar, you sit them down, you're like, look, this is how social media works, this is how you give an interview, these are the types of things that will get you in trouble if you go and put them on social networks, just to give these guys a blueprint. Because the problem is, these guys, they are athletes for an organization, but they're also individuals that have their own Twitter accounts. It's not like the UFC assigns them. These guys go on Twitter, and they want to interact with their fans, and they have a little fun with it, and... We've all been guilty of saying something silly or something stupid. It's as easy as that. But I think that the punishment should fit the crime across the board. When Forrest Griffin did it, he went to, like I said, he went to a rape crisis center. He donated some money. It was all voluntary. But what you take from something like that 
is that you can apply that to other fighters. Maybe pay a fine, or instead of paying a fine, make a donation. And these are the types of things that would allow your organization to just look better. I think that you firing this guy kind of seemed not a desperation move, but when you look at Rashad referencing the Sandusky incident, uh, Forrest Griffin's issue, I think that Dana White was a little selective in how he handled it. Sure, Rashad apologized, but in Rashad's case, I feel that he was a bigger offender because he did it on a stage where you were promoting a broadcast television event. And in doing so, you involve different personas and different personalities representing organizations that you're not familiar with. On the Twitter front, you know, you said something shitty and um, you say something shitty and you move on. It's it's as easy as that. I think that had these guys gotten fined and maybe, you know, gone to a shelter or made a donation, it would have looked better than just, oh, you fucked up and you're fired. In the case of a guy like Miguel Torres, he didn't apologize. Dana White had issue with that also. And um, the way I see it, you know, if he didn't want to apologize, then they, they should have met in the middle. Maybe, like I said, make a donation or do some community service or eat a fine. But firing the guy for that, I don't think so. I felt that was a little extreme. I did want to remind our guests when they're calling in and also any listeners that if you want to call into the show and have any questions or you want to comment on anything we're talking about, the call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that number is 347-324-3541. You can listen to the show from your phone calling that number, but if you do want to talk, please make sure to hit the number 1 so that Slick can see you on the switchboard and know that you are interested in coming on air and he can get you squared away. Just a reminder for those of you that are new and also for our guests, which should probably be calling in within within the next few minutes. Just wanted to throw that out there. Call a number 347-324-3541. If you want to share any commentary or have any questions, just make sure to hit the number one. The other thing I wanted to discuss was this weekend's Strike Force event. It is the last Strike Force event of 2011, and I have a feeling that they're going to go out in grand fashion. Uh, the main event, Gilbert Melendez defending his lightweight belt against uh, Jorge Masvidal. You're also going to have Cristian Cyborg Santos. She's going to have her featherweight title on the line against Hiroko Yamanaka. Also fighting on that card, Gegard Mousasi is going to be taking on um, OSP Ovin St. Prue. Billy Evangelista will also be on the card. He'll be facing KJ Nunes. On the prelim side of things, you got Carlos Fedor. He's going to be taking on Justin Wilcox, Fernando Gonzalez, and Eddie Mendez. Chris Brown, not that Chris Brown, is going to be taking on Herman Torado. You also got Roger Bowling and Jerron Peoples on the prelims. Um, oh, and I left out uh, Devin Cole and Gabriel Salinas Jones. Those are all prelim fights. I definitely recommend that if you have Showtime, do yourself a favor, check out this fight. Gilbert Melendez, one of the top lightweights in the world. Uh, Christian Cyborg Santos, one of the elite female MMA fighters on, in the featherweight division. I have a feeling she's going to have a great performance against Hiroko Yamanaka. I think that the problem with Cyborg, and I've discussed this before at length, is that it's hard to find opponents for her that are willing to either go up and wait or are willing to 
engage in close quarter combat with her. I think that her Muay Thai is crisp and to the point. And the problem is that there aren't enough opponents for her. But I will tell you guys this. Please make sure to support Strike Force on Showtime this weekend. Not only to support the organization, but um, the what I did want to reference was just the fact that in supporting Strike Force, you're also supporting female mixed martial arts, given that Strike Force is one of the few organizations besides Bellator that is putting these ladies on television for you guys to see. So please make sure to do that this weekend if you want to check out some MMA on Showtime. Slick just informed me that Calvin and Jordan are both on the line. I am going to bring them on right now. Hey guys, what's going on? What's up, dude? What? All right. I wasn't sure if you guys had uh, heard the prompt to press one. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> All right. So let's get right into it. Let's talk about the King of Chinatown. Um, of course, for those of you that are uninformed, you guys can head over to kingofchinatown.com. But the King of Chinatown documentary follows the journeys of a couple of professional street fighter players but the main emphasis is on justin wong and I, and i'll start with calvin first where did you come up with the the concept for wanting to put this together and what inspired you to to pick you know the street fighter tournament scene as your as your directorial debut well uh when street fighter 4 first came out in the arcade i had a i had a roommate that was uh traveling down to chinatown fair like every day after work it was like ritual, and uh, just even when it first came out, he was telling me he was like, "Oh, we gotta go, we gotta go to New York to play this game. It's so awesome!" And I was wondering, like, what the heck? We're from New Jersey, you know. What's this dude taking like an hour train ride every day to go play this game? Like, we have Xboxes. Can he wait till like it comes out on Xbox, whatever? So one time I took the trip with him to go see uh, to go see him play, because he was like, "Nah, you gotta play it. It's the awesomest game ever." I went down with him. And uh, Justin Wong happened to be there because he uh, was local at Arcade at the time. And uh, when when he walked in, there was like this murmur in the crowd. Like everybody was like, uh, oh my God, there's Justin Wong, there's Justin Wong. People were going uh, nuts about it. I was just wondering who this gamer was that like people would like talk about before, like as he was entering the arcade. One kid even got down on his hands and knees and like kissed his hand like that he played, that he played games with. And he was wow. like, I can't believe it's Justin Wong. And yeah, and I was like... I need to talk to this guy. Like, who who are you? And uh, you know, I got into talking to him. I looked him up on like YouTube. I saw like the the video, the the Daigo versus Justin video with all the hits, and just to see all the buzz around him. And I was just like, man, this is really neat that that a that a gamer has this much uh, cred, you know, has this many people that are into him and following him and know who he is. Like, this is the start of esports. This is really like with the fighting game community. Like, to me at that time, I had not seen something like that. So I, I asked him if uh, if I could start filming him, and he said I had to uh, clear it with his manager first, and that's when I really got blown away. You got a manager? That, that's, that's awesome. So I uh, I went to meet with the manager, Triforce, and he was working at a, a store in Brooklyn at the time. And at first I just went to go make sure it was okay. But I brought my camera along anyway, and when I met Triforce, I was like, "Man, I, I want to videotape you too. You're you're even you're just as interesting as Justin." And uh, we worked it all out, and I uh, I got a lot of a lot, got a lot of good stuff from him, and it really just snowballed. I kept getting footage. Then I brought Jordan in after I started getting like a lot of footage, 
I told him like, hey man, I got this, I got this thing I'm working on. It's really cool. It's really crazy. Uh, you gotta, you gotta see this. And I brought to him like a shoebox full of tapes of just like <laughs> all kinds of moments with these two dudes, just like playing Street Fighter, and uh, we were able to make something of it. And Jordan got involved after about a month or two, and it took us like two years. Well, to finally uh, get finished. How were you embraced by the esports community, given that you were actually putting a spotlight on them? Did Was there a little bit of apprehension, given that you guys were kind of venturing into their world? Were they welcoming? You know, there, there's, yeah, it's a mixed bag. Some some people are very cool with it. Um, other people are, like, uh, not so cool. There's a lot of different um, Street Fighter documentaries that have come out. For some reason, people compare us. I, I don't. I don't really see the need to compare so much. But um, no, it's a, it's a mixed bag. Some people are really, you know, it's their community. They don't want us to like shed a bad light on it, or they don't want it to get blown up too too much. Where it's like, uh, you know, something goes mainstream, and then like everybody sees it go mainstream, and they're just like, you're not happy about it because it was your thing, like that kind of thing. Right, there's I, a little of that, and, and then overall though, there's a lot of people that have been supporting us. There's some really cool people, the people at SRK, uh, Event Hubs, uh, shows like yours, uh, DJ Wheat. Um, overall, it's pretty good. I'm really surprised that uh, that Capcom hasn't really hasn't really like uh, shown the spotlight to us a little more since we made a movie on their based on their product. The game. I, I would have thought that we would have had a little more of a relationship with them about that. I'm hoping that maybe that'll happen, but. I will see. Well, the, the the crazy thing was that I you know, I've seen a, a fair share of, of gaming documentaries, you know, King of Kong and and one thing I liked is that you guys kept your footage very gritty, very raw. There like the editing that was done was obviously just it for for the overall presentation, but there was a ve- there was a lot of a natural flow to the way you guys were doing the documentary was that something that you guys wanted to do intentionally or did or is that just the way that the footage came out and you guys were like wow this really works and seems very natural that was jordan when i when i first started making it i was like i had a whole nother documentary in mind i had like a this is the fighting game community and like i I was thinking the way you normally make a documentary right and jordan was like dude it doesn't make sense that way it flows like a story like we're going to tell a story it's going to be it's going to go from a to z you know and have a start middle and end and then i i I got on board with that when he started talking about you know i really feel like this this belongs in a timeline rather than just there's a lot of documentaries out there that like you know they skip back and forth in time and it's just people covering a topic and Jordan saw a story in it. He was like, well, I don't know, let Jordan talk about that. Yeah, um, I noticed yeah. I, I noticed that it went it went more so from focusing on the scene to focusing on Justin's story. Um you know, I, I, I've seen I, I've seen people have uh varying levels of commentary, whether it's positive or negative, but I think that you guys focusing your energies on one particular personality really humanize that person which is what i liked it didn't just seem like oh you know this guy gets paid money to play in arcades all the time there you you had more of a human element to it i really liked how you guys focused on you know his his chemistry with triforce and also his work and his competitive nature with with a guy like daigo who is so who is so highly uh regarded in the street fighter community yeah Jordan, how did you how did you come to that anyway? What was the what was the thing that got you to that? 
to decide that like this is the way it's going to be because it's a documentary that's it's it's unlike most documentaries. It's not it's not that typical cookie cutter. This is something. It actually has a story. Well, a lot of it had to do with just what I was based in editing. I was when I learned it, I was very like um, everything had to be story driven. And like Calvin said, he presented me with a shoebox of tapes. And it pretty much came down to he wanted it to be kind of like this abstract kind of structure. And I said, well, there's a lot of, like Triforce is a very driving character. And I wanted him to kind of, like you said, be humanized. And same thing with Justin. Justin was a little hard to, more hard for me to humanize because he wouldn't talk a lot. So that's why it also was very Triforce heavy is because he was sometimes the mouthpiece when Justin wouldn't be. Ah, I see. How are yeah, you? That's a big, that was, that's one thing that the community hits us on all the time. That, that's good. You bring that up. That is one thing we get, we get smashed on, but well, the, I, yeah, I didn't, I would, I would agree with Jordan. Without him, we, we, it would be harder to tell the story. I did notice that. And, and, you know, I'm glad to see that, you know, that, that Jordan had a, had a, a plan for that because in watching, in watching, uh, Justin present himself in, in parts of the documentary, you can see he's a very soft-spoken, humble guy that's just, you know, grateful for the talent he has and the opportunity that got him there. And yeah. when you're doing a, a, a story-driven documentary, you want to add uh, multiple acts. You know, you want the beginning, you want a little conflict, and then you want the end, and everybody goes home, hap- goes home happy, which is, which is great. But were you guys concerned when it came down to it that your focus was too fo- well your your motivations were too focused on on someone like Triforce even though there were so many other people in that community that you could have brought in like how did you guys sit down and really uh, come to terms with the fact okay we're going to really focus on these two guys when there were you know like I said guys like Daigo and other pro players that you could have uh, shed the light on a little more well when you're it's kind of weird, like when you're putting together a documentary, the main concept is you're supposed to tell mostly the story of the scene that's going on, and that's what was done in a lot of the other really good um, Street Fighter documentaries that came out, especially like I Got Next, all about the scene, which is really cool. But when I went to edit it down, like I said, it was very story-driven and narrative and all that and narratives there's always like you know the main character and then there's kind of like that sub character the uh, the best friend or whatever and yeah <laughs> <laughs> i gotta i gotta i gotta caught you off guard i'm really sorry no it's okay no it's fine i, I, I see what you're saying is there's uh there were characters there and and we started to see something to be honest yeah when we were shooting this we didn't know like it wasn't like we were like, all right, what we want is we're going to film these two dudes, and eventually, eventually they're going to break up. They're going to somebody else is going to buy out Justin, and we're going to capture all this. And like, and during that, then Justin's going to like, you know, he's going to go through trials and tribulations of trying to beat his rival, and eventually he's going to beat him. Like we didn't like said like in a documentary, it's like it's impossible to do that. Right. So what we did was I shot like I, I have lots of footage of all these other characters. But when you when 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 it boils down, like you really have to 
Like I, I think what, what Jordan was starting with was you really got to choose people. You got a best friend, you got a main character, you got a rival, and like how many more people can you really have? Our, our original cut was something like two and a half hours. Wow. So, uh, we had like Gutex and like Gutex threw this epic party. I think it was in Vegas. And we were just like introducing character after character after character. And eventually we had to sit like our friends down, our, our like, you know, our girlfriends, our wives, and we're just like, can, can you make sense of this? And then they're just like, there's just too many people. You have to kind of like, you know, whittle it down. Focus, yeah, you know, whittle it down. Focus to who, who matters. And we even had, um, we had that fight between that, or, Gutex and Justin in the movie. And originally it was, I don't think we even really explained who Gutex was in the first place. Yeah. And all of a sudden he just like, he's like, he just shows up in Keystone, dude. And then, yeah, he's just like in Keystone and he just kicks this guy's ass. And then we're, and then um, Calvin's girlfriend goes, why do I care that this just happened? And then Calvin <laughs> just kind of sits back in the chair. And goes, <laughs> yeah. Calvin just kind of sits back in the chair. Five minutes later, he's just like, okay, this is the plan. And it was just kind of like a whole night of editing. So it was little things like that. How many, how many yeah, hours? That, of- every time you need to introduce a character, there needs to be like an introduction. You can't just have this guy and he fights and whatever. There needs to be like some character, and really, Gutex was one guy where, like, it made sense because he was the first, like... Like, ju- ju- Justin playing all those people at the GameStop tournament, it was like, who are these people? They're just people, and he's bodying them. But then when he gets to Keystone, he plays this world-famous guy, Gutex, and, and, you know, we tried to play him up as being a little more famous than the rest of the guys, and it's like, well, if he beats this guy, well, maybe he's pretty good. And he beats him, and it's like, oh, my God, he, he did really well against him. So now, like, you're really... Build you up to, to the fight with, with uh, you know, the whole, you know, he wins the tournament, and then Daigo, his, root, his, you know, his rival, comes out of nowhere and then beats him again. In that, uh, I love that, though, the way they, that's edited, like, where you see uh, where you see the old footage of, of Daigo beating him and the new footage, and it's just like, oh, man. Well, yeah, you it's want really to show it coming over. full circle. You want to you want to show yeah, the story very, coming. Very, Oops. Like how that would be perceived when I threw that in there too, and apparently like people really like that part. <laughs> well, yeah, you have to set you have to set the stage where you bring the story full circle, kind of like a follow up, which leads me to the other question I had, which was when you guys did all the editing for this, you, you know how much how much equipment and how much time was invested in editing to where you felt that the product was uh, screen-ready? Well, I mean, we just finished. We just finished the last cut, like, literally literally a month ago because we've, we've screened it to audiences. Right, I know you we guys did it at PAX. I mean, it was like a year. It was a year. It was, yeah, it was a little more than a year. Either. Probably a little more than a year. <laughs> like, like, I mean, the equipment and everything you said, like... I mean, I'm sitting here with the MacBook Pro monitor, five lacy drives, built the capacity that are like dying slow death. But I mean, what Calvin said, we would screen it and then we would sit either in the front or the back, kind of gauge reaction. And the best place that we did that, I think, so far was CEO in Florida. Because we have 300 people who are part of the community and we got like a real 
raw reaction. And then we I, went back to Jersey and made changes again. Yeah, I, the CEO was cool because we got to see a community dig it and like see where they laughed and everything. And then when we when we started screening in Brooklyn and we did all the the, the, the Brooklyn screening, there's people that never they didn't know anything about the fighting game community and seeing them really get it and understand it that was pretty cool too. Yeah, and I think that was where after we heard some of the people in the audience talk about it then that didn't know anything about fighting game communities were like, all right, we're done. People how, get it. How did you guys raise capital for all this? What was your strategy? Uh, are you are you allowed to say the word blowjobs on? Uh, Absolutely. Here, Absolutely. Lots of blowjobs, handjobs. <laughs> uh, boogie nights. There's a lot of that. Yeah, of you had to you had to sell your soul basically. Pull a little Mark Wahlberg. There you go. No, it's we we both <laughs> have jobs and this came out of our pockets. Um, you know, I told my my fiance and Jordan told his wife. You know, like we really believe in this project. It's really awesome. We think that people are going to watch it, and we we've been working on it, and we just kept spending money on it. We kept traveling and and going to all these places, and uh, it came out of our pockets. That's one thing a lot of people are like, you know, we like this other documentary better because it's free, or uh, why can't this be free? Or I'm not paying for this stupid thing because it's not free. And, yeah, and but shit costs uh, money. <laughs> yeah, it costs. Us, we're, it'd be nice if we had like some backers, or if maybe Capcom was like, "Hey, we really want to prove to the world that gamers are really cool, and we want to show the world like you know the life of a gamer, and we want to pay for that." But that's that's really not the case. They don't really. There's not a lot of companies that that are really backing that like that yet. Nobody's really figured that out. That like maybe they should show their product in a cool way. Like, show that there's, like, you know, there's even, like, in our case, like, our documentaries are people actually make money playing video games, you know? Right. So like, that, that's something pretty pretty big. That's something that you think people would want to spend money on letting people know. That there's a future behind this, and there's a community, and, like, it's something cool to get into. You should get into it. Well, so that's, the... that's, that's not there yet. That's not really, it's not the thought process yet. So we had to pay it out of our pocket to show the world how cool it was, because we believed it was cool. Well, it, it, it's also a matter that the, the communities are very fragmented. I mean, when if if you guys see how the you know the first person shooter community is and and how yeah. fragmented it is and how how hard it is for for that particular aspect to come together and do something as a community. I mean, right now there there's been stats showing that you know companies like MLG are are breaking records and getting incredible amounts of viewership and incredible amounts of traffic on the web. But I've always felt as as a fighting game fan that it hasn't reached that same level which is unfortunate because fighting games are more there's there's more drama in a one-on-one confrontation sure you can play call of duty and have a team of five and go in there and wipe out another team and it makes for for great commentary but that that level of competitiveness on in fighting games is is something that you can't script that which is one thing I, I like from the footage I saw that there, you, there were no canned moments. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. There's when like Justin has a rival, his name is Daigo, you know, and, and like when you think of one, you think of the other and it's epic when they get together. And there's 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 people like that. There's other rivals out there, there's people that and there can be more. It's like it's kinda like wrestling though. It's like it's like WWE. Like our our if we had the budget to do this and could, could convince somebody to, to to get this on TV, it would be filmed like WWE, like before battles, 
Nice. There would be like back talk, you know, there'd be people like talking to each other about like, you know, why they're gonna win, what's at stake. And it would be it would be more like the night before and like you you'd see the background story of these people, then you'd see the battle. And the battle's not as important as like these people's lives and what they go through to like get there. Some people like watching people trying to pay for a tournament to get to a tournament is like more interesting sometimes than watching the tournament. Like you get this you get the drama, and then you get to watch the battle, which is f- awesome as well. And with the new fighting games, like, anyone can watch it. It's like you can tell who's winning, and it's not that hard to figure out. You know, it's not like... Most people watch uh, first-person shooters, and they have no idea what's going on. But a fighting game, it's like one guy's on one side of the screen, the other guy's on the other. they got to beat each other's ass. You can tell who's winning, and when something awesome happens, you, you see it. Yeah, I mean, one of the best things that that's happened for the fighting game community is just the, you know, the the embracing streaming, you know, being able to stream so many fights and allowing people to see so many different levels of talent that are out there. It it creates household names without a lot of work. Yes, I I think like Team Spooky, for instance, is going to be like the ESPN of like like the dude that owns ESPN that's sitting playing golf in his office and electric guitar and like thinking about mountain climbing, that's going to be Team Spooky one day. Spooky is definitely going to be that dude because he's, he's on something that people people aren't on yet. You know, he's like light years ahead of uh, of um, just pop culture right now. I think that, that he's got a good gra- grasp of it. How did you, how did, how did your, I, I guess your your any preconceived notions that you had for this community change after the documentary was finished. Did you feel more in tune with the community? Did you start playing more fighting games after you were done? I've I've always played fighting games. I've always played uh, Street Fighter, Street Fighter Four. I'm actually I'm pretty good at Street Fighter Four. I'm no good at Marvel vs. Capcom. I am awful. <laughs> I haven't played. That is a really tough game, man. That game is like I, I don't even. There's a love-hate it relationship. Sometimes what's happening to me. Yeah, there's but, a love-hate uh, relationship. Before, I'm, I'm decent at. I can. I'm not your average bear. Oh, that's good. That's. I guess I can take down. I don't know. Maybe like 95 percent of people I play. Oh, that that's really good then. Then yeah, definitely not a not an average bear. Did you uh, pick up a lot of a, a lot of tips watching the pros play after it was over? Yeah. yeah <laughs> Because you know what it is, I'd, I'd be watching people play, watching people play, and like you, you really you start to get into it, and you watch it, and like the dude, everybody's always talking, like Justin's always talking about like it's like rock paper scissors, and like yo, did you know this beats out that, and like you start to listen to it, and like you you play, and then like you play other people, and they're nothing like the people you watch. I spent so much time staring at. I guess Justin's techniques. <laughs> I thought that I could go out and do the same thing. So oh, I told sure. if I'm going to go, go buy the Street Fighter fight stick, and I was going to go buy a Street Fighter. Sat down on my couch and just was lost. <laughs> so I, I, I got it. That's influence. There you my, go. my roommate plays like crazy, and he just mm-hmm. uh, what he would have me do. And this is good. This is good for practice. This he would have me. He he talked about like execution. And he would make me uh, throw out, like, fireball after fireball after fireball until, like, you'd never, ever, ever, ever miss one. He'd watch it, like, end the screen, and you have to do a new one. And then he would do, uh, you know, like, sure you can, uh, the dragon punch, you'd have to do dragon punch, dragon punch, dragon punch, one after the other. And I would have to go from side to side. He'd be like, this is how you learn how to play the game the best way. And he'd make me do each move out. And no, so he'd, he'd have, have you training. Like, combos, and he'd learn the combo, 
and then do it over and over again until you got it. And then, like, I, I played for hours, hours and that, like, five days, weeks, just trying to, like, get get to the level where I could put up a fight. That's that's a so that, that is definitely ex- execution, practicing your, your your each move until you can just like you think it and you put it out. The, that, the that's how to be good at fighting games. So I see, for like a novice, like I was. The the beauty that uh, of watching this also is just the fact that you you have this this energy where you say to yourself, yeah, you know, I'm I'm the best street fighter player amongst my friends, and then you get that harsh reality when you go on the competitive scene. And you oh, just yeah. see people's spirits just broken. It's like, oh yeah, you know, I beat everybody in my neighborhood. Okay then. Then you go in there and you just see these guys get decimated. How did how did it feel for you guys just watching stuff like that? These guys come in, they're all they're all chipper and happy go lucky, and then after it's over, they just leave oh. dejected. I'm well. Calvin got these very good like post interviews in like the New York GameStop, like after Justin just got done destroying everybody. And it's like, like you said, their spirits were just completely broken, and I just couldn't put it in there. It was too, too harsh. Oh man! Yeah, that, some of that stuff is pretty harsh. I'd have to say that when you go to like the GameStop, the people there like thought that they were gonna win. Like all the people that showed up to New York GameStop were like, "Yeah, who's this Justin Wong guy? Fuck that guy!" Like some of them didn't know who he was. They were like more casual gamers. Right. But when you head out to like Evo or CEO or any of the, like the larger tournaments. Uh, those people are not going, uh, well, some are, like maybe 32 people are going with the hopes of, of completely taking it, but there's a lot of people that just want to get on the stream, because when you're on the stream, you're, you're like, you're cool, you're, you're the man for that little bit, you know what I mean, people talk about you, they're like, yo, look at this guy, who's this new guy, so a lot of them were just like, even, they, they kind of came there, not, not thinking they were going to be the best, but they came there to compete. And I, I didn't see that many crushed hearts at Evo. It was like a different kind of... The people in the community are going to get as far as they can. They're going to to play and, and, and just do the best they can. Because they know they're they're better than their local guy or whatever. They're just... They want to represent their region and and, uh, and show what they've got. That That's really cool. You can you can fly all the way out to Las Vegas for, you know, it costs like $2,000 to get out there and pay for some hotel. And, like, you're not trying to win the prize. You're just trying to, like... You're, just you're trying, trying to break, break even. You're trying to break it to, the, like, even scratch the top. Like, even if, like, oh, I made it out of my pool. People that make it out of the pools are just happy to make it out of the pool. So, I mean, you got other... Some of the guys out there, you know, they're really competitive. They want to win. But then you got these other dudes that they, they just they just want to get out of their pool or come close. Or It's, it's cool. It's a really... You know, I, I think that's the other thing that's different than, like, a than like a first person shooter or any of that it's it's like you literally like at evo you have thousands and thousands of people are just trying to get out of their pool and that's a win that's like you have so many more people playing and like yeah i don't know they're not going home with sour faces you know well they're they're just happy to get they're just happy to get a few steps in and then even after they lose they stick around to watch the end they want to watch the main event they want to jump up and down and be part of the crowd well, it's funny. It's funny that you painted that way. Last month we had done a, um, a charity event for breast cancer, and one of the games we were playing was uh, we were playing Street Fighter Four, Marvel vs. Capcom, and um, during that time we actually had Noel Brown play. He's a he's a pro player and actually a friend of Justin's. Yeah, he yeah. played uh, he played Marvel vs. Capcom with some of our listeners and some of our fans, and these guys, they you know it, one one or two guys definitely 
took it to them and they they felt so good there was there was such great energy and just like hey man i was able to hang with a pro even even yeah. you know even if they were on the losing end he he played he was in the room i'd say for about an hour and a half played 20 fights took all 20 fights but the guys that that played they were like dude man it was it was it was awesome just to be able to to play you know just to be able to say look i you know i, I played against a, a pro and there there was one kid um uh kid named juan he came in he he was he he got close and he was just like the, the amount of hype that was going on and the worst part is with marvel versus capcom you can't see the fights you just see the cards bouncing into each other so you so so you're rooting for a life bar and the yeah. um, you know there were there were five or six guys in the room and they're like oh shit yeah yeah they were going crazy so that energy is infectious that's why I understand what you're saying from doing the the pro events yeah people I mean in a, in a and not to knock first person shooting like I also play like I play Gears of War three a lot like it's exciting to play but I mean to watch it like when you start getting ahead I don't know I mean there is the excitement there. But like the cr- close calls of a fighting game that literally like within one second you can win or lose like it's so quick i mean it's it's just so it's so easy to watch it definitely i definitely see it on espn within the next five years and if not they're missing out they're really missing out on a market that, that could really be something yeah esports as a whole has a has a very profitable future i mean a lot of these guys that i've that i've spoken to on air it's like I'm like, you know, what do you do in your spare time? And they're like, nothing. This is my job. Like, there are guys yeah, that, you yeah. know, they make 5, 10, 15, 25 grand, and they just go from place to place. And some, some, you know, it's just, they pretty much live out of a bag, go from, from state to state. Some go to Japan, and they just take their winnings, and they apply it to the next to the next level. And the funny thing is that your your winnings when you're left over with them there's not it's not like you have to go and buy new equipment you know maybe you need some joystick parts so so the amount of of retention for for a lot of this prize money is huge and it's crazy that not not as many people are talking about that because it is very profitable yeah there are a lot of people that's the one thing i saw like justin was when i first saw him he was like taking home money each week from chinatown fair like, there was a tournament every weekend, he'd play in the tournament, win, and take home a few hundred bucks. I was like, wow, it's not that bad, man. He, he has another job, and he and he goes and he takes home these winnings. Like, that's, I think he's doing better than me. And yeah. then as it got bigger, I was like, holy crap, dude, this dude's going to take it all away. Well, those, those cash prizes, that's, that's the big motivator, especially when you're at that level of play, which leads me to go um, bringing up your, your, your time filming a, a guy like Daigo. How was it? In comparison to the American players, you know, just dealing with 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 a player who's who's has who has legendary status in Japan, how did you guys approach that? Did you guys deal with any with, with any issues about just getting him on camera and things of that nature? Or was he very approachable? Very, very approachable, but a lot of them that we talked to, they didn't they didn't speak English, so we'd have to find a translator, and then we'd have to convince the translator who we were and, and get Daigo to say okay. It was really confusing. But uh, we were able to get a few interviews. Um, we didn't really use a lot of it. It was kind of hard to... Um, it's like you know, the translator talks over him as he's talking, and like to get him to actually say, like to, to understand what he's saying and then have the translator say it, um, it, it, was, it was confusing and really hard to, to get. Um, they, they were cool with us filming, um, 
I don't really think they knew exactly. No matter how many times we tried to explain it to them, I don't ever know that they knew exactly what we were doing. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It was it, it was pretty good. They gave us. They were really respectful. Um. Yeah, it's just that. Uh, I mean, I wish I could have got more, but it, it's also it's hard to it's hard to figure out what you're kind of as someone's talking and you really don't know what they're saying and you got a translator doing it. And it's just you don't get the same kind of feel as like just like watching Justin and Triforce interact and just being a fly on the wall. Right. I mean, I, I wish I wish with Daigo I could have hung out in his room. Right, and, ta- and, and take video of that. And just watch him, you know, getting ready for a fight and like doing his thing and like talking and like here and there to like the people around him, like, yo, I think I'm really nervous about Justin. Rather than just being like, hey, are you nervous about Justin? Like, yeah. I wish it would have been like him talking to like uh, somebody else, just telling him like, you know, this this dude is probably ready to play me, and I've 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 got to be ready. It, it was hard. The language barrier was the hardest thing, I think. People make fun of us because we use uh, we use the translator and we we didn't use Daigo's voice. Oh well, so, I didn't know Daigo speaks English now. <laughs> yeah, well, you you got You have to. One of the original cuts, it had him just like it had just a close up of Daigo without the translator. Oh and he, man. So, People thought it was like a Godzilla movie. Oh Jesus! Yeah, I had to throw in like more translator. That. <laughs> that was funny. That's <laughs> fucked up, but it it is funny. I can imagine how the visual for that looked. The did you guys see any 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 rituals or any st- strange goings on with some of the pro players that you look and you're like, really, dude, you do that? Like, like you know, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna wear one glove to play, or I'm gonna wear sunglasses while I'm playing. <sighs> some people. Like, uh, technically, like, some people like to sit down with their shoes off because, Uh like, that's the way they play at home. That's, I guess, the only, it's not really too weird. I guess it's, like, people want to play the way they play all the time. Like, you get to a tournament and you put it on your lap and it doesn't feel right, or you have it on a table and it's too high. So, like, a lot of people that play when they're playing at home, they play on their, on the floor. So, like, you'll see, like, Daigo, like, with the controller on the floor, and he's, like, sitting, like, with his legs spread out. And, like, you'll see another guy, and he's sitting on the chair. That was kind of interesting to me that, like, everybody had a different play style, like, the way they the way they played. Yeah, I saw... I saw about rituals. Justin always listened to music before he would play. Ah, okay, yeah, because I saw... Pod and listen to some music. Did he oh, have music on while playing? What's that? Did he have music on while he was playing? No, 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 no. Oh, because I've seen guys that before. do that. You'd be like... Wearing He'd headphones. be in his hotel room, not talking to anybody with his headphones on. He would just be listening to his music. Uh, that must have that must have made for some for some fun filming. You're like, uh, okay, then we're just gonna sit here. That's where Triforce is like. There's <laughs> there's one scene where Triforce is talking about uh about molding his people and doing what he's doing with his dudes, and and Justin just sitting on the couch listening to his headphones, and we were able to get him in the mirror, like just sitting, like listening to his thing. While Triforce talked about what was going to happen. After after experiencing this documentary and and the amount of work that went into it, are you guys are you guys motivated to do a, a follow up documentary? Maybe just focusing on a different aspect of the industry, or did you you, you know just want to focus on getting this documentary out and then just build a portfolio of possibly doing other documentaries? Like where do you get, where did you guys want to take it after getting the film completed? Well, we definitely, we have a, we really want to do a narrative. We want to do something that's not a documentary. Because I feel like we've, like, I've been to Evo, like, three times. Um, I've been to a bunch of MLGs. 
been to a bunch of just smaller tournaments that are still big, like um, CEO, which is really nice, big, moderately big. Um, and I, I kind of feel like I, I have a good understanding of the culture now, and Jordan as well. So we're we're thinking about writing a uh, like a story uh, based around the community, but not not like just like two guys and they're going to try to win a tournament, but like some sort of like drama. So we're we're working on that right now on writing that. That could that could be something we work on next. Um, I know that the Namco team watched our uh, documentary and they loved it. They really really liked it, but they were like, "Why? How come you didn't do it on Tekken? Why'd you do it on?" Oh I'm boy! Fighter. We want you to do something about Tekken next. Oh, so you start so, uh, you start getting those 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 pro players for those franchises now are are, are asking for for their time to shine. Yeah, we have a lot of people that, that want us to to film them as well, um, and I think that we're gonna do it in form of this um, this uh, like not a documentary, like a real narrative. We're gonna try to have people from the fighting game community and from esports in it. Um, as like guest stars in this movie, and uh, we're I, we're thinking if so far it looks pretty good about using maybe like a Namco game as the main game they all play. Okay. And then we'd have permission from them, and uh, it would be it's not going to be based on the game though. It's going to be based on 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 the the characters and the story and the cultures. Yeah. We'll have some drama that's not just like oh I've got to win this tournament because otherwise my I'm not gonna be able to buy a. I don't know. I'm not gonna be able to buy a PS3 or whatever. It's gonna <laughs> be like. It's gonna. There's gonna be some serious consequences. So we're gonna we're gonna fabricate a little. It'll be a little like Scott Pilgrim types kind of stuff. But, well, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be good. Well, that's a. It's it's great that you actually use Scott Pilgrim as as an example because Scott Pilgrim is a is a film that. For, for gamers and the quote unquote geek community, you know, it was a very a very well done film. But for for a mainstream audience, they just feel like, all right, it was a uh, it was it was good for what it was. When you look at movies built around you know geeky stuff and even gaming in general, now that you've done the documentary, do you look at it with a with a different set of eyes now? Do you do you pick apart things that you'd like to do in your own productions based on that? Yeah, definitely. We're we're heavily researching um, how we're gonna make it. So, and even with King of Chives, I was like, we wanted it so the community could see it. But then again, we were still screening it to like my mother, and she's like the ultimate hater. <laughs> um, we 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 want to do the same kind of thing. Where like my my dad would be like, yeah, that was really cool, yeah, but still like really cater towards the the gaming community. And I think that's that's definitely possible. It's not something. It's not like they're two different creatures. You're human. You want to see characters and you want to see drama. And uh, we're gonna we're planning on doing that. But we wanna we wanna add real life. You know what I hate? I hate watching like like a like a movie about something where they totally get the subject wrong, and like they use like they use uh, it would be like us making a movie about a video game and then like making up a video game. You know. Right. It doesn't really make any sense to do that. Like when there's real games out there, there's real things that people play. And kind like of, Grandma's you know, Boy. Companies aren't going to be mad. Yeah. But it's cheaper to do it that way. Cheaper to do it the way without the. Yeah, it's cheaper to do it when it's a fake game. Yeah, can you imagine you got to write a fake game in order to put it in a movie when like there's companies out there that make games? That's true. That's how true. come they wouldn't? How do they not understand? And that's why, like Namco, they understand like. 
Like, this is a good thing. We want our game in a movie because it, that's how to make things pop culture. Like, it has to be in pop culture. Well, that's one of the things that made the, the, the movie The Wizard one of the most, you know, well-known video game films because, you know, Super Mario 3 was the was the star in that also. Dude, I, I dragged my father to the theater to see that because Super Mario 3. I was like, no, you don't understand. You see what Super Mario 3 looks like. My dad was like, we have Super Mario 1 and 2. You're like, you don't get it. Like the both of them. I was like, no, no, there's going to be levels. There's gonna be, he's got like a raccoon hat and shit, and he flies. Mario <laughs> flies. My dad was like, you're fucking nuts, but let's go. Yep, I did I did that to my mom. I'm like, I need to see this movie. And she saw it, and she was like, all right, where can we buy this game for you? <laughs> Dude, that's where Nintendo, like, I know they make some funny decisions sometimes, but that was a good decision by them. That was a really, really good decision. That made that made Super Mario so hype. Well, that what it was. It's funny when you were talking about when when you know you and and Jordan were talking about making a made up game because when you look at a movie like Grandma's Boy, you know that's another game that yeah. that, that that goes into gamer lore for multiple reasons. And the game I love there, Boy. yeah, the game in there was made up. But the funny thing about it was that the game was almost secondary just towards the culture in yeah, in yeah. general, which was you know don't get me wrong, the stoner humor helped. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, definitely. I know I that mean, there was like he played Frogger. That was real. That was funny. Yeah, and Dance Dance <laughs> Revolution. They did. They were kind of. I don't know why a gaming community company wouldn't be like, yeah, I want my game in this movie so that everybody knows it. It's like it's like Pepsi being in a movie. Like it needs to be to be pop culture. Like you are nothing without without being part of everything without being seen. Like you're if you're in movies and you're in things and you're in commercials that you become if you're talked about at all you that's that's where you are you exist well the the funny thing with with that also is that now it's less about the players and more about just taking the properties and bringing them to the silver screen and with, with that said how do you how do you embrace something like that do you want to see more property-based films or do you feel that there's so much untapped resource in in the community as a whole that you'd rather see more of that because that will generate you know exposure for the game but also create new stars and probably new personalities that people want to learn more about if if the community wants it to be free then the then the companies need to pay for the media right and if not then the like with the case with our film we had to charge for it because it cost us money. Nobody nobody paid for the advertising. We have tons of Jinx clothing, Gamer Nook website, um, Evil Controllers, uh, Street Fighter 4 itself, Marvel vs. Capcom 3 in the end. I mean, there's so many different companies that were in our movie that we gave free advertising to. And, you know, if, if those people aren't willing to pay, then the gaming community has to pay for it. And they have to. That's just the way it works. Somebody, did, somebody's got to pay the money for it to be to be made. Did you approach? Did you guys approach those companies like, hey, you know, we kind of got your stuff in here, you know? Yeah, yeah, and their budgets. To be honest with you, a lot of these companies, their budgets just aren't there yet for it. So, yeah, but, but if, it, if it, as it gets larger, it's gonna have to gonna have to be that way. How did you guys so secure? It's a new kind of platform too. This is a brand new kind of thing. It is, but there's 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 documentaries being put together. You know, like I said, King of Kong. Uh, there's another there's another one being worked on, which I think is more scripted, which is called Noobs. Um, yeah, I heard about that. Oh, I, I, these are things that are going to be in theaters, and they're paying for it because they hope, like Noobs, hopes to go in a theater one day, and people are going to pay for it. 
and right. they hope to have DVDs, and people are going to pay for it. And in that case, there's no funding from from like uh, Epic Games with Gears of War, and then they probably won't feature some of the real games. Have you have you guys looked at at you know outlets like Kickstarter and things like that now that are that are more friendly towards you know indie films? In terms of generating revenue, have you guys considered something like that, even whether for this project or for a future project? We've we've talked about it, but it's kind of like if we do Kickstarter, the the people are still gonna pay, but they're gonna pay up front. I don't understand why they have a problem. I see movies go on Kickstarter, like there's another movie, there's another fighting game movie that, that that's coming out, and they paid over $15,000 on Kickstarter for it. The community threw in, like, in, like, five days, too. Crazy. Wow. Awesome. Great. That's really awesome that the community will, will, will do that. But, like, you know, like we paid our $20,000 before it came out, and we funded it, and then we were like, listen, we did it, and we've got it, and here it is, and pay for it if you want it. And that seemed to be, like, the wrong approach. So I think, I mean, Kickstarter could be the big thing. For some reason, people think Kickstarter is a good thing, whereas charging money if they, isn't. If they pay, you know, if you earn $15,000 in five days, then that's $15,000 worth of DVDs or iTunes that you're never going to sell. Yeah, yeah. So you're essentially, like, giving it away for free. Because all those people are now entitled to free copies of a movie. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's either front end or back end to me. Yeah. Like, either you're way, you're in the front or you're paying in the back. I thought our way was the better way because we paid for it up front for people. Right, yeah. but I don't understand. And and you know, I've seen, I've looked at the film on iTunes, and you know, you guys are are priced are, are priced well, and you're and you're pricing it in a way that's approachable. I I really I'm dumbfounded at the fact that something that paints your your community. In a positive light, I mean, you guys tell a, a good narrative, and yeah, you know, there's there's a couple of things there that some people are going to question for for you know personal preference or whatever. But you can't you can't base anything just on personal feeling. This is still a business. Yeah, yeah, uh, it is a it is a really crazy thing to us. It's one thing that we've learned the that for next movie we've got to keep an eye on. Maybe just keep an eye on our budget and and know that it's not as. It's not as lucrative yet as it, as it looked. You know, it's not like, you know, we, we spent a lot of money on this movie thinking, like, we're definitely going to get these views to pick it back up, and it's been kind of hard. People, actually, the crazy thing is the amount of people that have pirated it is crazy. Like, I, our movie has been seen, I'm really proud of the amount of people that are seen, have seen our movie, but unfortunately, like, 50, one out of 50 people have actually paid for it. Fucking shit. That's, that's crazy. And how, when we were throwing our uh, release party, we had... Yeah, the night of our release party, we, yeah. we were having a party at Dave & Buster's, like a small get-together, and one of the guys was like, hey, did you know it's on Justin TV right now? There's like 2,000 people watching it. Like, we've just now barely gotten over 2,000 people who have paid for it, but like right oh, with the first man. five minutes of it being out, like 2,000 people were watching it for free. That's And you know, the crazy thing is that the dude that was on the on the Justin TV or the Twitch TV... He's the one that's getting the advertising money because he's got an account and then you get paid for people that are viewing and like some other guy that we don't even know is getting paid. All these pirate uh, sites, you know, the, the amount of people that are downloading our movie, like the pirate company that's bringing it out there to you, they're getting paid from advertising clicks and stuff. It's, are, really, it's a really crazy setup. Are you guys going after stuff like that? Like how are you guys handling the pirating of, of your product? 
there's there's not much you can really do. There's like twenty different sites that have it now, so it's like we can go after it, but it's just like we tried it first, and the, if we took down one, three, four more would pop up. I really just find it fucked up that you guys invested twenty grand of your own money, and you guys can't. Well, you guys haven't been able to yet make that twenty grand back considering the amount of exposure this is giving to the community even a company itself nobody i'm not saying that that you know capcom should come and say hey we're gonna foot the bill for the whole thing oh, but yeah, we didn't we didn't have a contract with them. we don't want that at all <clears throat> you know but I, th- but I, I wish people would be more like yeah maybe we should spend five bucks on this or yeah maybe we should tweet about it and talk about it because they spend a lot of time doing this and whatever well, I, I know in some aspects, you know, we painted a different light than they might. Have <coughs> you know, maybe we didn't have Justin talking about as much as as they want, or you know, uh, I don't know. It's just if if you want to watch it, you should at least. Well, yeah, I don't know. And at the same time, too, it's not like when you give us our, your five dollars that we're gonna like go bathe in money. Nope. Like save it <laughs> and use it for the next project. So you know. Yeah, that's the truth. That you know, we get money and we do another project. That's uh, that's kind of where it's at. Although I would like to have like an Uncle Scrooge uh, safe for like days in the money. <laughs> nice. I, you you beat me to it because I was gonna say I'm like I'm like it's not like you guys are swimming in money like Scrooge McDuck. So I I, yeah, I, I appreciate you guys are on the on the same level as I am with that. Yeah, I, I've got a day job, and uh, Jordan has a day job, but it's uh, with companies that are in the industry. Of, oh okay. Uh, film editing. Yeah, but um, I work at a factory. Oh, that's fine. I I have a day job too. This is the what I'm doing is a labor of love. So I can. That's why I, I'm saying I can I can really empathize with you guys about just trying to get your 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 project to be profitable. It's it's a it's a hard road, and the worst part is that people are are sitting there telling you that you shouldn't be charging for something like this and it's like yeah but you know there's equipment that was involved there's money that got spent it's it's crazy that you have to really go out there and chase that money when so many people are willing to get on camera yeah i i think a few years ago like maybe if we had done this like four or five years ago i think that it would have been like a but th- things are so free nowadays. Like you get like the Hulu and all the stuff where you like you, you get on it and people are just used to not paying for their products. That it's starting to become something where it's like, why should I pay for that? But in the end, somebody is paying for it. So uh, we we will get on Hulu soon, and then at that point, we're gonna get paid for. That's what's up. It. Well, that that yeah. that that false sense of entitlement really fucks things up because it you know it's like it's like yeah you don't want to pay for it, but you want it to get made. You know, it doesn't it doesn't magically get made. Yeah, like I'm sure like in another two years there's gonna be different people even now, there's probably different people that you'd wanna that you'd wanna watch up and coming, but it, like people are gonna be like, Oh, how much did they make off that? Oh, they didn't they didn't make their budget back. Oh, I don't know, it's not that's not really that lucrative of something to get into. Like I I, I need to at least make my money back. That also touch on what you were saying. Um, a lot of people when the film was in production and post-production, they'd go on message boards and they'd say, you know, where's this film? And yeah. they'd be like, well, you know. Shit costs money. Where the money. fuck are you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, shot in, uh, I shot in Chinatown Fair one night and I, I shot like six tapes worth of footage and I really got some really great things. Literally like two weeks later, people were bugging me for the footage like, yo, when are you going to release it online? Oh my God. I was like, I'm not, I'm not a stream 
guy and I'm not I'm, I'm trying to make a movie and like people were like starting to rip me already because they're like oh who's this guy he comes and films and he doesn't put anything out I'm like dude you don't understand <laughs> that's what I'm saying it's that that sense of entitlement the 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 generation where it's you know what are you guys doing for Ow. me and it, and it and it sucks because it, the the labor of love that you guys ha- have to put into this it's not like you guys woke up and said hey we're gonna make this movie about uh, the competitive gaming industry and we're gonna make buku money it was hey I really like this the, the this this uh, this genre I really like what they're doing I like what these what these gamers are doing and I want to showcase that so a larger audience can see it you're 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 basically doing the PR that the companies aren't doing for these guys. Yeah, that is one thing that's crazy. We're we're talking about the fact that these people exist and and saying you should be one of them, you should get into this game, and and you should make it your life. We're we're part of the the, the scheme of things. We're part of the machine that makes it grow. I mean, there's so many other. We're not like the only ones. There's so many things out there. You know, like the message boards and all that. That's really what grows the game itself, you know, like the game is, is being driven by the community. And we're just a small fraction of that, you know. And I guess Capcom's smart enough to know, like, to have, like, a community manager and to, like, you know, they're starting to spend money into it. Yeah, I went not, to... It's not like they're bad. It's, it's, they're good. It's just, uh, I think, you know, like, I think it's just an industry that'll grow. Well, what happens is, too, that given your experiences, it really sours you on, on you know showcasing that industry i mean when you guys were done and you guys tallied up all the investments that went in there were you were you guys frustrated or or bitter at the way that it played out did you guys look at it and be like man we invested you know hours and hours months and months and we have a really great product to show for it where where the fuck is everybody we we had a lot of people get it and watch it for free which is like thousands and thousands i can't i can't give the number uh but there, fucking, a lot a lot of people have seen it like i've i run into people on the street talk about it and people they, they know of it so there's it's really really cool like I, I can't say that i regret it you know i'd definitely do it over again to have your first film like out of college be like this and to also be able to say that like you know we weren't backed by hollywood and still like thousands and thousands of people saw our movie like Nobody in our in our graduating classes got has been as ex- successful as us. Well, like that's, a, that's a big accomplishment. They're working for like smaller studios, or like they're not branching out on their own. We we have done the biggest thing alone so so far. So we we would definitely do it again because it taught us many lessons. And to to be honest with you, it could be our fault as well. Like maybe when we released it, we shouldn't have tried all these like pay. Maybe the the future of media is like maybe it is free, but you got to have a company back you up, like a Hulu or something. Like you say, like oh, it's going to be released. Like I got next just came out on Hulu and it seems to be doing really good. Whereas like it's free for the community, but somebody's paying for the advertising. I think maybe that's it. Maybe that's the future. Well, I I wanted to ask because I saw that you guys, you know, Indie Picks helped you get that, you know, helped you distribute the film. How did you guys get? In, in into that relationship with indie picks like what's the process to to do from creation and final product towards distribution uh indie picks is kind of cool they're they're a different kind of company than most distribution companies um a lot of distribution companies pay them for the movie up front like they'll be like we really want to make a movie about this we're gonna hire these people to do it and people produce it and they, they're like a you know distribution house picks it up and does all the advertising for it and this is like 
they're they don't give you any money. They don't buy the film from you. They don't pay for it. Uh, but what they do is they they offer to put it out in all the different types of media. They guarantee that they're going to put it out, and we pay a fee to them for every copy sold. So oh, okay. I can't discuss the numbers, but let's say it was let's say it's ten bucks that we make, right? A ten dollars for a DVD comes in. They basically charge us for part of that, and then right. we get to keep the profit. So it's not like we sold this film for ten thousand or sold this film for a hundred thousand, and then we don't ever make any money again. Like you're basically partners. Oh, okay. That's kind of a new way to to do distribution for independent films. There's a there's indie flicks and indie picks that I know of that do it now. But but to get to that level, we had to like pretty much legitimize the film. We had to you know take it out on our own, spend lots of money to like take it to um, packs and take it to all these different venues to screen it. To pretty much go in and say like you know. Or for them to even approach us, they were pretty much the ones who approached us because they heard about it. They knew about it because of what they heard. Yeah, we put out we we had like a hundred thousand YouTube videos by the time they actually our YouTube YouTube views a hundred thousand YouTube views on our trailers. Nice. And uh, that, that's kind of what got them got them in seeing that there was some sort of community. And you know what? I, I do have to thank the community for that. Without without the community putting that interest in there like that, without them viewing it, all the trailers, indie picks would have been like, oh yeah, there's no reason to do this because there's, no, there's nobody who's going to buy it. But having a target audience that large, like the community, and even just people that play video games can get into it. Like, we were able to prove that there are people out here that are into this thing. It's a special interest. Yeah, I, I, like like I said, I was, I was really a fan of, of you guys just humanizing the community and not making it just a whole, a whole bunch of guys sitting around playing video games for money there there there's there's levels there's there's uh it's almost like you are your own business which which is what i like that you guys showed it's it's something where you know you are a brand and you are a business and it's your job to go out there sell yourself at the at the expense of the game that you're playing to motivate people yeah. to want to sponsor you and throw money at you yeah, it's neat. It's just a new way to make money in America. You know, it's another way to another way to pull in dollars that you might, you know, the average mainstream people don't know about. Most people watch it, like all my like relatives and just some friends. They watch it and they're like, "Holy shit, you can make money doing that! It's fucking awesome." Well, yeah, because it opens people's eyes to that. I mean, I've I've spoken to to members of the community for you know first person shooters and even you know i spoke to prodigy who was in who was also in you who popped up in your movie uh he was on the he was on the show and i've talked to pro gamers as well for you know first person shooters and they say that look man if 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 you put in the time you can you can live off this completely which which is insane because you know you you play games you know, I'm an '80s baby. I remember playing games on, on Nintendo, and I never said to, I never thought in a thousand years that you fast forward 30 years and people are getting paid ten thousand, fifty thousand, a hundred thousand dollars for playing these games. I think EA had a tournament where the top prize was a million dollars when they launched uh, Modern Warfare oh, 3. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's crazy. That is crazy. You know, a million dollars for you sitting in front of a, 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 a in front of a TV for a couple of hours. It's it blows your mind, and it just shows how much it's evolved. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that like EA's smart with that. That's what grows the community. You know what I mean? Like that that news story about that. 
all the people that talked about that afterwards, like that million dollars was a million dollars well spent because it was like it drew up a huge, like holy crap kind of thing, and lots of people vying for it, and just I don't know, like when you when you pay out prizes like that, and like people get into it like that, and it becomes a sport. It's like it's it's no longer just the game. It's about the people as well. You know, it's no longer just the game. People play for a month. Like people live it. The yeah. sport. Like people play soccer. Like they're not doing it like once every few weeks or something. People play soccer. They play soccer like every day. Like it's it's they're, that's how they're going to legitimize it as a sport and get people into it by like offering prizes, setting up tournaments, making it a sport. No, I think I think that that you guys are are on the right track with that and I really hope that your your next project find fi- you know gain steam and allows you to create the vision that you guys want because I think that the way you guys did this was was well done and it was well executed and I I commend you just thank for taking the time to put the spotlight on this community Yeah thank you very much it's it was it was really freaking cool to be able to do something to be, have our first movie be something that we actually like like a lot of people work on projects and they're like, I don't know, you work on something and you're just like, you don't even want to be there because it's not what you really like. Oh yeah, like a demo but reel or a commercial. Real first project be this to be so cool, to be something that we really can get into and it's a part of us. Like we, like I love games, you know, like I love fighting games. So like it just was neat to be able to do something that I love. Well, um, like I said, I, I I commend you for doing it, and you know we'll we'll help try and help you guys out and get some awareness out there um just to wrap things up what besides the official site where can people pick up kings of chinatown um you can pick it up uh you got the itunes if you look up king of chinatown on itunes it's uh it was supposed to be on psn and xbox live last week for some reason it didn't drop um so they will be doing it uh, i think by this week which should be pretty huge because that's something where it'll be it'll be really easy to get with your game console um, eventually it'll hit Hulu, but not for a little bit. Um, and they're also making a retail version to be sold in stores, so we're excited. We don't know what stores. We're, nice. They're working out some contracts with some some stores where uh, you might frequent. Oh, good. Very um, good. <laughs> uh, we're really, really excited for that, to be able to see our our first movie, like, tangible in a store. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab my mother and driver to the store the day it comes out <laughs> and be like look this is what like, i look, did ma, this is actually a job <laughs> look ma buy this copy <laughs> buy the first one yeah that'd be cool yeah so i i heard i, I was reading on your site you you're into comic books too i am comics video games movies pro wrestling mixed martial arts we try and and touch a little yeah, bit of everything bag. yeah we touch a little bit what of everything you, on uh, the site what do you, you read all the what do you what do you read I read Marvel, DC, Image, some Japanese stuff. I jump around a lot. I don't really discriminate. I just like certain characters. Like right now, I'm pretty much reading all the new DC 52 books, which I are. Into them at all. Uh, oh, it's a. I have a love hate relationship with some of the books. Like some of the books I've read, it's you're like, oh wow, that's really cool. And then some of them you read and you're just like, Egh. and then I, you know, I've been reading some of the Marvel stuff. I'm really looking forward to. Uh, the new thing they're doing with the X-Men and the Avengers, like, that's going to be huge. Yeah, it should be cool. Other than that blood ties thing they did, like, ten years ago, that was horrible. Yeah, this this one looks this one looks good. I mean, we have a, a good relationship with Marvel. They send us a lot of press stuff, and we, yeah. we try and share it with the listeners. And um, I think that the the problem with Marvel is that they're, 
they in some respects I think they're spread too thin. You know, you got all the animated stuff coming out, you got all the anime stuff coming out, plus the the big screen pictures, plus you're trying to sell books, and it almost feels like certain things get lost in the shuffle. So when like a good cohesive storyline comes out, you know, I get hype for it. So I'm like, all right, maybe yeah. this X Men and Avengers maybe maybe the big one. I thought that relaunching Ultimate Spider Man was 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 big enough, but I'm like, all right, yeah. Avengers X Men. That's huge. Like, they released a huge press release for it. I haven't put it on the site yet, but I was just like, yeah, they're taking this super serious. So what, what is the premise of Avengers versus X-Men? Like, how do you, like, why, why, does it, why do we need to avenge the X-Men? Like, well, we... well basically, basically what they're doing is they did a, a storyline involving Hope Summers, who is um, a girl that, you know, Cable was taking care of. and she is, all that. Yeah, she's supposed to... Uh, allegedly be a conduit for the phoenix force and what happens is that of course the avengers get wind of it and they're like look man you know we know what phoenix can do and if this chick is going to harness this power we you know you got to turn her over to us so that we can monitor her and be prepared for it and pretty much the x-men are in short like fuck you you know that's the that's pretty much like putting her in a concentration camp we're not going to do it and of course that leads to it to a huge conflict where you know so the things get said fists get thrown and then there's always one or two guys one or two villains working in the background trying to ensure that you know that they they get their their ends taken care of so i I actually like that concept because there's a legitimate reason why they're beefing instead of something that's that's thrown together yeah it does feel a lot less thrown together than what they've done in the past that that seems like it'd be pretty good yeah, well, first the X Men got to get past uh, Mister Sinister with this Regenesis uh, crap. Well, that's that. Uh, yeah, that, setting the, the the issue numbers. Yeah, the the Regenesis is is leading into the whole uh, you know X X sanction with uh with the X Men and the Avengers. I mean, the yeah. Regenesis pro- the the whole storyline to me was just. I looked at it and I was just like, all right, you know, I, I get where you guys are going. You know, making Wolverine a leader of the X Men that's great, but. You guys just did that to put him in another book, because that's really it's it's like that's such a cash grab. I mean, it's cool that he's a that he's a teacher and he's kind of running this little ragtag group of of X Men. But I it's like when I look at Wolverine, I really don't look at a guy that's instructing anybody unless it's to kill, like he did in X Force. Yeah. yeah, that's true. But I think the funniest thing about the X Men is a fucking is Wolverine hopping between books. Like it'll be like he'll be in the middle of a book. Yep. And all of a sudden, like, everybody's like, oh, where's Wolverine going? He's like, oh, he had to go over here. And, like, then he's in another book. Like, Wolverine appears in, like, every single X book. He's, like, the one cat. It's, like, almost a joke. It's like I killed Kenny, and it's like Wolverine disappeared to be in the other book. Well, that they, they realized that he was the, the reason why they've done, why they moved so many numbers. And, and that that's partly, that's partly, uh, that's partly true. I think that the problem is, though, that by mainstreaming Wolverine so much, it affected people's conception of him you know when they put out x-men origins wolverine you expect the wolverine to go in there and be cutting people up and being wolverine you see in the books and then when you see it it's kind of like uh you know almost like an emo wolverine you know he, he fucking cries yeah. and all this shit and you're just like yeah. nope that's not what i want to see and, oh, terrible. Uh, but that's what happens you've mainstreamed the character to, to the point where it's watered down and it makes it impossible to undo like now if they did a wolverine film and it was r-rated or, or you know, a, a strong oh, yeah. PG-13, they they they'd really think that they're losing something, but they're really not because that's what the character is. You know, Wolverine's a womanizer. He smokes cigars. He drinks. He fights. Oh, it's... oh man, <laughs> he's 
He got my ticket sold, man. Yeah, that, but that's what people want to see. Oh, I mean, people pan the Punisher movies, but I feel that that second Punisher movie with Ray Stevenson was as close to the book as possible. I mean, yeah, it was a little hacky and a little hokey, but it embodied what the Punisher was. You know, super ultra-violent, people getting shot in the face. Like, that Like that was the selling point. Yeah, that's... I mean, when I when, in the beginning, when you read Punisher, like, the first Punishers, there was, like, maybe five words per book. Yep. Like, it was all pictures of just him kicking ass. Yeah. But, uh... I don't know, man. This uh, this new X-Men, I, I, I picked it up, and... I don't know. Mr. Sinister and his haircut, he's looking pretty 1980s to me. Yeah, Sinister, Sinister's look was... I was really not a fan of it, the whole long... The whole, whole long-haired weird look. I mean, I like Sinister, the way they draw Sinister in Ultimate X-Men. You know, that he's just yeah. like he's just like a, like a scumbag. And I'm like, that works. But this new Sinister, yeah. this new Sinister, I'm like, eh, you know, not, not really sold on it. A lot of the art and a lot of the way that they've drawn a lot of the X characters, I'm not really sold on. I actually like that they've made Cyclops more of a ballsy character. Like, that actually works yeah. because he's very vanilla. But other yeah. than that, it's like the X-Men are, are kind of treading water. Like, you're not really doing anything super huge with them. I mean, it's not like when they did with the Hulk, you know, with World War Hulk, and you got all these different facets of the Hulk. It, 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 it the, the character development in the X books is incredibly difficult because you got seventeen members in a team and you got to write for every one of them. Yeah, it's crazy because like there's so many different writers that they switch off on and yep. so many different books that they like. How many times? How many personalities for each character have you ever seen change? Like from book to book, a character will be like cunning in one book and stupid as hell in the next. Yep. It's really. I, I wish they could just. I mean, I don't know. I guess it's impossible. It's not like with a with a movie where you have like one writer, yeah, but for the, the whole thing or a show, like the writers of comic books seem to really come and go, which really hurt. I feel it really hurts the medium. Well, when uh, I, I, I don't know. I, can you see any way to fix that? I don't. I don't see them ever being able to fix the, like the X Men. Well, no, you with so many writers. You're you're actually on to something because when we were at at, at Comic Con this year, you know they talked about all these different teams and all these different art art teams and writers being involved. And the problem with that is exactly what you were saying. You have all these different guys having different interpretations of certain characters. It's it's something that's very troubling. That's why when people say, oh, you know, we're launching this new Spider Man and Brian Michael Bendis is writing it, that he's going to write the entire run. So you know you're going to get a good quality, well layered book versus x-men yeah, where the, the you know you'll have one guy he'll do 40 issues disappear and then th this new guy takes over and then you lose your audience dude if i could get one guy to write x-men for 40 issues i'd be so freaking happy that would be amazing the last time i seen that was like uh we got claremont but then what's his name too uh oh, the awesome one the new x-men when they did back in the day well joss oh, whedon did good when he did uh when he did the the uh, the x-men run for a while. Yeah, that was awesome. The uh, I forget what that was called as well. The Whedon run was really good, and the Grant Morrison run was good too. But, like you, you don't really see that 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 uh, that continuity with one with one author for so long. Well, that's what DC ended up doing with this whole restructuring thing. It's they launched it similar because they wanted you know uh, consistent teams on each book. Even even the Ultimate books. If you read the Ultimate books, it's one team pretty much for most of the run. It's yeah, just, I, I agree. That's what makes the Ultimate books good. Like with Millar uh, doing all the Ultimate Avengers and all that, you know, you know it's going to be good. The Ultimates, are, it's it's written by a good dude, and he knows what he's doing. He's got an idea what he wants in two years from now. He's I, bringing characters somewhere. It's more believable. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, a lot of indie books are definitely stepping their game up, and I've been seeing a lot more indie books getting exposure. Obviously, you know, The Walking Dead was spearheading that, and, um, oh, yeah. you know, that, then you look... 90 lo- awesome books in a row. Exactly, exactly, and that's what happens, you know, books like Scott Pilgrim. I mean, I read I read a book, um, you know, Kick-Ass, of course, that, that Mark yeah. Millar did, which was Nemesis, and they're talking about turning that into a into a property, and I really hope that they do it and they get and they do it justice because the Nemesis property is 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 so ultra violent and so not the norm that it would yeah, it would blow people's it. minds. Awesome. Yeah, it would blow people's minds the way they the way it was laid out. I mean, that's what that's why Kick Ass was so popular. So does so does Nemesis the movie do? Would you focus on has Nemesis being the main character? Like, is it is it like Punisher, where like the the villain is the main character of the movie, or are you going to focus on the detective? I I would I would tell the story from both sides and then have it meet in the middle, kind of kind of like the way they did Fight Club. You would pretty much do the Nemesis film like you did Fight Club. You tell it from Ed Norton's point of view, and then you tell it from Durden's point of view. Same thing with Nemesis. You you start do the first act on the detective, the second act on Nemesis, and you meet in the middle, and then you do the big reveal at the end, and people just go home with their with their brains on backwards. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because if you're doing if you're taking the detective as like your main character as your focus of the film, and in the end you find out that that is the ending. You know, oh, man. I don't want to get I don't want to get into it in case people haven't read it because it'll be a movie one day. Yeah, it definitely. I mean, will. That is just some crazy shit. No, it really is. I think I think Nemesis and even a lot of these indie books, they 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 are really starting to to come into their own. And there's so many great pro- great properties. They want to do a movie based on the darkness and a couple of other characters. So it, it gives me hope. It's just the the big concern that you know they want to do. They end up wanting to do style over substance. You know, that's what worries me with this new Spider-Man movie. They want to do a lot of style. Yeah. Yeah, it's something, that's something really difficult. Because you want it to look good. You want the action to look good. But, I mean, you have to have the drama there. You have to have the story. Absolutely. But, uh... Have you... I don't know if your viewers have ever listened to... I've ever seen uh, Lunar Brothers. You know anything about the Lunar Brothers? I've heard of them. I have never gotten to check that out. The Luna Brothers have got a have got a book uh, have got a book called Girls that is just they did the sword which is pretty good which will probably be a movie I'm sure but Girls is just something that's like it's off the hook sick it's about a it's about a bunch of girls that just take over a town and like this town gets like sealed in this like bubble and like these girls are just like just like taken over I, I'm, it, it is crazy it who is publishes really, it uh, Image Comics. Oh, okay, yeah. It's called Girls, and it's just it's 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 up there with like um, Walking Dead or uh, like what you were talking about with Nemesis, but just being like really like something you don't expect when you're done reading your head's twisted backwards. That is that is definitely something I recommend. All right, awesome. I will uh, send an send an email to to Image and see what they can do. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I think I think I think Jordan is asleep, so we uh we're gonna wrap this yeah, up. Jordan's phone died. I just got his text. All right, cool. <laughs> well, a- as we said, you can pick up King of Chinatown on iTunes, Xbox Live pretty soon, PSN, and also you're gonna be putting it on Hulu, right? Yeah, it's gonna be a little bit for the Hulu though. All right. I usually do Hulu like a few months afterwards because it's gonna appear. You're gonna be able to pick it up in stores. Nice. And they, they can want, also they follow you on Twitter. Get it first and then get it free. 
They can also follow you on Twitter at uh, at King of Chinatown. Yep, at King of Chinatown. And that's, Facebook. That's talk to us. We talk a lot. And Facebook as as well. Yeah, you can find us on Facebook if you search us. I think it's just King of Chinatown. All right, I'll make sure to put those links in the show notes. Well, Calvin, cool. it's, it's it's been a pleasure talking to you, man. Definitely keep in touch, and you know if we if we can help out in any way, definitely. You know, you know how to reach me, so please, let's definitely keep the lines of communication open. Definitely, definitely. All right, brother. Well, I, ta- I thank you All for right, taking man. the time, and I hope you have a good night. You too. All right, brother. Later. See ya. All right. I've just wrapped with Calvin Theobald, director and producer of King of Chinatown. You can get more information on the film by heading over to kingofchinatown.com. You can follow them on Twitter king of chinatown also look for them on facebook and i will be adding all those links in the show notes you can also check them out on youtube be on the lookout for king of chinatown in psn and xbox live and lastly you can pick that up on itunes i'm going to take a quick commercial break when we get back we are actually going to wrap up the mma news and hopefully wrap up the rest of the show as well because we got a couple of other things to discuss right after this you know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like (laughs) well you won't listen to that on our show because uh we don't have the budget for that kind of thing we're broke as hell and uh nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard so um if you're looking for a show like that that has horrible audio quality and uh void of fake laughter Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights, on all games. Alright, let's jump back into the pool with some MMA stuff that I wanted to wrap up with. Um, I wanted to just take a moment and commend Zufa for helping out uh, Dan Miller's son. Dan Miller required a Dan Miller's son required a kidney transplant he's one he's a year old and Dana White and the Fertitta brothers and Zufa stepped up with some serious donations and they're helping the Daniel James Miller Foundation so I wanted to just tip my hat to Dana White and Zufa for that uh, Dan Miller uh, Dan Miller's son has been the subject of a lot of tweets on twitter just people trying to raise awareness for it they're actually doing a drive uh, at the mma expo this weekend with proceeds going towards the daniel james miller foundation but i just wanted to take a moment and commend dana and the fertitas for doing the right thing and helping out dan miller and his family so props to them coming out of ufc 140 we got a a couple of bonuses that were given out seventy five thousand dollars a piece ko of the night went to the korean zombie Submission of the night went to Frank Mir, and fight of the night went to John Jones and Lyoto Machida. Also, shortly after that, during the post-fight press conference, it was revealed that UFC Octagon girl Brittany Palmer will be appearing in the March issue of Playboy. Uh, Brittany Palmer wasn't seen for a couple of months in the UFC, but is now back full-time. She returned at UFC 140. You can expect that Playboy issue probably to go on sale late February early March and she will be in the issue but also on the cover so congrats to Brittany Palmer for that that helps the UFC also just gives a little bit of mainstream exposure to the organization as I mentioned last week it is official the UFC will be debuting the 125 pound flyweight division 
and they will be in action in March of 2012. They're going to do um, two bouts, a uh, four-man tournament with the, the winner being crowned the first ever flyweight champion. Being involved in that tournament is former bantamweight contender Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. He's going to be fighting Ian McCall, who also Joe Benavides is dropping down to 125. He's going to be taking on Yasuhiro Urushitani from Japan. And those four fights will lead to the finals, which will crown the first 125-pound champion. So it's going to be a great time for the UFC, seeing some excellent flyweight action in the 125-pound division. Be on the lookout for that in March. UFC 142 also has been finalized. That's going to be happening January 14th at the HSBC Arena in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. The main event is Jose Aldo and Chad Mendes for the featherweight title. Vitor Belfort will be taking on Anthony Rumble Johnson. Mike Masenzio is going to be taking on Husamar Palhares. Uh, CR the Killer is debuting in the UFC against Eric Silva. Edson Barboza is taking on Terry Etim in the pay-per-view card. As I mentioned earlier, of course, we got Brock Lesnar and Alistair Overeem meeting at the end of the month. And there was a lot of speculation with regards to Overeem not being in the event for a couple of reasons. One, there was commentary about him having to go back to Holland because his mother was sick. There were also a lot of comments made about drug testing. And as of right now, Alistair Overeem has been granted a conditional license to fight Brock Lesnar at UFC 141. Um... As per the terms of the conditional license, he will need to submit to a drug test over the next 72 hours. Um, they're all He's also going to require two random drug tests over the next six months. Originally, it was stated, according to Bloody Elbow, that the North, the Nevada State Athletic Commission requested both Lesnar and Overeem to take a drug test on November 17th. Lesnar went to a hospital and his test, of course, came back clean. Overeem didn't respond until November 21st and underwent a medical test in Holland. Although it was a blood test, it did check his blood for testosterone levels and other drugs and came back clean. The commission went on to state that Overeem took the proper test on December 7th and those results will be known later on next later on this week. So, as of right now, Overeem has a conditional license and his blood work came back clean. The the funny thing the funny thing with this is that when you look at both of these guys and and how huge both guys are, the, the questions about how they got so big are always going to be raised. But I have to give credit where credit is due. If these guys test clean, piss clean, and their blood is clean, I, you, you, know, you have to chalk it up to good diets and natural ability. Simple as that. In some other UFC news, their relationship with Fuel TV is growing. Fuel TV released some of their programming for January, you can expect. January 3rd, it all begins at 7 p.m. with the Best of Pride Fighting Championships. At 10 o'clock on January 3rd, you're also going to see UFC Tonight, which is going to be a weekly news and info show covering the UFC. You're going to have event coverage and analysis. You're also going to have some highlights, fighter interviews before and after fights, and a couple of segments as well. It's going to be ran by, it's going to be hosted by Todd Harris, and your analyst is going to be Kenny Florian. You got Ariel Helwani and also Jay Glazer are going to be involved. January 10th, you're getting the best of UFC 2011. Uh, January 10th at 9, you're also getting the countdown to UFC Rio. Other programming you can expect to see are the post-fight show for Aldo and Mendez. 
um, the weigh-ins for UFC on FX and also the prelims for UFC on FX, you'll be seeing that on Fuel TV. Fuel TV seems to have really ingrained themselves with the UFC now and you're going to be seeing a ton of new content, so props to Fuel TV for that. In some other news to close things up, MMA Weekly reported that Fabricio Verdum will be returning to the UFC to face Roy Nelson at UFC 143. UFC 143 is huge in the sense that Carlos Condit will be taking on Nick Diaz for the interim welterweight title. You also got Josh Koscheck on that card. Alex Caceres is on that card. You got a, a couple of great standouts there. And seeing Verdum come back to the UFC against Roy Nelson should prove to be an excellent fight. And in some Strikeforce news, Strikeforce and Showtime have agreed to continue their relationship, but there's going to be a couple of changes. According to Dave Meltzer, Strikeforce will be having six to eight shows in 2012 on Saturday nights, and they will be doing away with the heavyweight division. The Strikeforce Heavyweight Grand Prix Finals will take place in March with Cormier and Josh Barnett. The winner is going to have one more fight on Showtime and then move to the UFC. Strikeforce is going to focus on maintaining a light heavyweight, middleweight, welterweight, and lightweight roster, as well as women's 135 and 145-pound divisions. They're also looking to crown new light heavyweight and welterweight champions. So I definitely want to just say that I'm glad to see Strikeforce is sticking around. It proves to be a viable home for women's MMA, so I'm glad to see that Zufa and the Fertitas decided to keep it around and i have to applaud them for it all right guys that's going to wrap it up we are going to go right into some wrestling because there's actually a few things we want to discuss so let's not waste any time with it and get right to it All right, now, Raw this week were the Slammies. I'm not going to go through dragging that shit out because it was incredibly long. I, I will say that highlight of the night was CM Punk's video package for John Laurinaitis, and also the return of Kane was something that I found to be surprising. Kane looked to be in great shape. A lot of people went as far as to say that it was a completely different person under the mask. That is Definitely not the case. That is the original Kane grew his hair out because obviously during his time on the shelf, it took him a bit to grow the hair back and he debuted with a brand new mask and a secondary mask as well. Kind of cool. Choke slamming John Cena to close things out. It's good to see Kane back. It's another viable big man on the roster besides the big show and Mark Henry that will give new comp, you know, a fresh coat of paint to the roster. Kane will probably be exclusively on raw as far as I know, but overall, it the Slammies were okay. There were a couple of surprises, you know, Road Dog popped up, uh, Lita popped up, so, you know, it, it was cool, Mick Foley, Million Dollar Man, overall, passable and pretty enjoyable, I, I, like I said, I really was impressed with the Zack Ryder, Cody Rhodes, and Daniel Bryan, Dolph Ziggler match. The only thing that ruined that match for me was the fucking 
commentary from Cole and Lawler and the shilling of fucking Twitter. We got it. They're on Twitter. Thanks for sharing. It, it was it was ridiculous and it was a blemish on an otherwise flawless match. I, I was I was dumbfounded. I will say though that these four guys showed that they are the future of this business. Cody Rhodes, Daniel Bryan, Ziggler, and Zack Ryder. Ryder, obviously, for his mainstream appeal. Daniel Bryan for his work ethic. Cody Rhodes for just evolving as a as a persona in the WWE. And, of course, Dolph Ziggler for bringing multiple facets of his gimmick into one unit, finally. The only thing that would make Dolph Ziggler stand out even further was to separate him from Vicky Guerrero as of right now. Who knows where that's going to go, but Raw was enjoyable. A little long, it did start dragging around the two-hour mark. I was like, damn, this shit isn't over yet, but other than that, it, it was alright. It was it was enjoyable. The Some of the awards were complete bullshit, like the A-lister of the year, so let me not beat this up any further. Here are the awards that we're giving out and the winners. The Tell Me I Did Not Just See That Moment Award went to a Dancing JR. The Holy Shit Moment went to the Big Show and Mark Henry imploding the ring at Vengeance. The Pipe Bomb of the Year Award, given the title of the award, obviously went to CM Punk, who delivered, like I said, an awesome video package clowning John Laurinaitis. The Divalicious Moment of the Year went to Kelly Kelly. Why? I don't know. The Oh My God Moment of the Year was The Undertaker kicking out of Triple H's tombstone at WrestleMania, which was interesting because Triple H cut a very uh, a very pointed promo at The Undertaker in, in accepting that award. So it should be interesting to see where that goes right after this pay-per-view. We'll see if they'll start laying the foundation for a potential WrestleMania rematch, which may not be the worst thing, but I think that at this point with The Undertaker going 20-0, and 0, does it really make sense to do a rematch with Triple H? I mean, they did it with HBK and it was okay, but I don't think doing it with Triple H is going to accomplish anything other than rehashing something that we've already seen. Trending star of the year went to Zack Ryder, the Game Changer of the Year award was The Rock challenging John Cena for a match at WrestleMania. A-lister of the year, like I said, went to Snooki. And Superstar of the Year went to somebody who I did not expect, and that would be CM Punk. And it was a well-deserved honor. CM Punk not only succeeded in revitalizing the, the WWE, but he also succeeded in getting mainstream exposure for the company. So props to CM Punk for that. Now, I wanted to talk about something I actually heard the audio for a couple of days back, and that was from the Chad Duke show, which recently had Dave Batista on. Now, the funny thing about this interview was Batista was, in typical Batista fashion, uh, talking about the business. And the funny thing was that he had something to say about the PG direction of the WWE. And the commentary makes sense, but it just it just sounded a little bitter. When asked about playing heel against John Cena, he stated, I was playing the part of the heel, but they were still booing the hell out of Cena. I really had to go the extra step to be a heel against this guy. When asked about John Cena being responsible for the WWE PG era, he says, I think you know they did the whole PG direction thing. I think that works for Cena. The little kids love him because he's a great character. He's someone they can look up to. The girls love him. Good-looking guy, says all the right things, does all the right things, but the hardcore fans can't stand him. He is Mr. Hokey, Mr. PG. To me, he killed hardcore, edgy wrestling. 
I, I do admit that the PG era definitely watered things down, but I also have to acknowledge the fact that wrestling should sell itself on natural ability and the quality of its matches, not necessarily gimmicks and what-the-fuck moments. They're nice and it's great to see, but it really doesn't do anything for the business as a whole saying that the PG era ruined things. The PG era was a stumbling block, but it's up to the performers to step up and carry the ball. Maybe Batista needed to be in the Attitude Era to get over, but I personally saw him being successful even in the PG era. I think that the problem is that his character is super one-dimensional. It's, you know, big guy in fancy clothes, comes out, takes off his sunglasses, and power bombs people and walks out. There was nothing more to Batista other than that. That was his gimmick. Well-dressed big guy comes out, gets violent, leaves. If anybody's to blame for his own gimmick not being successful, it's him. He didn't really bring anything else to the table. His promos were okay, his matches were good, but that was it. And it's unfortunate that he would really just throw the blame solely on Cena for the PG era because the WWE is responsible for that as a company. Now let's talk about this China situation. As many of you know, former WWE diva China decided to go into the adult filmmaking industry full-time. Of course, her involvement in this industry re- 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 oh, excuse me, resulted in her removal from TNA, and also any chance she had of coming back to the WWE was gone. But since she's embraced her porn career so well, she is now expanding to also doing escorting. Now here's what you guys will get a kick out of. She is working as an out-call escort for a website called MyPornStarProvider.com. Now, the funny thing about that is that you're probably saying to yourself, okay, you can. she's an escort. What exactly does that entail? Obviously, the smart money will be that it entails exactly what you would think for an escort. But here's the, here's the fun part. How much does she charge? If you wanted to spend one hour... With China, whether it's her sweet-talking you or possibly rubbing whatever male-slash-female genitalia she has on your chin, that would cost you $3,500. I repeat, one hour with China, a.k.a. Khloe Kardashian, will cost you $3,500. Now, after that first hour, you guys feel you're connecting and all of a sudden, you know... The microwave timer in her underwear dings and it's time for her to leave. And you say, hey, stick around for a little longer. It's going to cost you an extra $1,500 for that additional hour. So for her to have two hours of your time, it is going to cost you five grand. It gets better. You want to hang out and talk about her wrestling career, possibly rub her feet, talk about any, any other bullshit that Vince McMahon did to her. That's going to cost you $10,000 for 24 hours. I repeat, $10,000 for the, the price of a, of a cheap car to hang out with China for 24 hours. Now, if you really want to take this party to the next level and possibly have her rape you or be an extra in one of her sex tapes, it's going to cost you $20,000 for a full weekend to hang out with China. So let me repeat that. $3,500 for the first hour, $1,500 for each additional hour. If you're feeling adventurous, you can pay ten dollars for 24 hours or $20,000 for a weekend. I kid you not. 
If you want proof, mypornstarprovider.com, folks. You can check out her profile there. The last bit of wrestling news, and this this is just fucking insane, it regard, is re, regarding Brutus the Barber Beefcake and Hulk Hogan. Both guys are suing Linda Hogan because Linda has gone on record and in her book as saying that Hulk Hogan had a gay relationship with Brutus the Barber Beefcake. I kid you not. She made those claims during a couple of radio appearances in June, and he also she also made some some statements in her book. Hulk Hogan had already had a defamation suit in play, feeling that the the allegations that he physically abused her were false. Ed Leslie went on to say the following. I've known Linda for almost 40 years, but when she starts trying to ruin our careers, it just ain't fair. Hulk is a tremendous person and a great man who deserves to be happy. Obviously, I got to credit TMZ for this, but I did want to state that as much as I shit on Hulk Hogan for for the for the shit he does to the wrestling business, I I do want to say that when it came to his family, he he the guy looked like he genuinely gave a shit. I don't really see him as a guy that that had tendencies to whoop his wife's ass. On the contrary, I think if Linda McMahon kicked him in the knee, his hip would probably break. So I really don't see Hulk Hogan beating anybody up. And if he did have any physical relations with Linda, I think they were purely consensual. I, I sincerely doubt that they'd be arguing, and she'd say, You're an asshole, Terry, and he'd give her the finger point and go, You! and do the running boot and kick her in the chest in their dining room. I sincerely doubt that happened, but who knows? I just feel that to come out and say something like that for a guy who's the father of both of your kids when, you know, you're at this stage and it's an ugly divorce, it just looks real petty, and I really hope that they settle it and we can move on because it's it's it really is a circus. It's really fucked up. All right. That closes out the wrestling segment. I'm not going to take a commercial break. We're just going to get right into the video games. <laughs> Alright, let's start off with some Xbox news from Kotaku. Um, as of probably this dashboard update and going forward, all Xbox 360 dashboard apps will be utilizing the Connect. Kotaku has reported that all apps will require Connect support from here on out. The objective is to bring power of Connect functionality to every experience where voice and gestures make sense. Of course, you'll still be able to use your tried and true controller, but... The the funny thing about it is that the Connect with this new update, you can see that the dashboard was built specifically for the Connect. I personally got to beta test the dashboard and I've been using it since. And it really is uh, very intuitive, very easy to use, and it and it works well. My only concern is that shifting this moving this shift towards only using the connect is going to do harm for a lot of people that don't have it because it's almost going to feel like you're missing out when you're using a controller to navigate these new menus it almost feels like there's more button presses than there should be versus the connect where you drag your hand 
and you just proceed to manually move the screens. It's just a lot more fluid. And by including this functionality in there, while it does appeal to those people that do own a Connect, I think that at the end of the day, it's something that that's going to require a little bit more of an adjustment period. And I think that by pricing the Connect with specials like like they've been doing at $100, and you can even pick up a refurbished Connect for $75, it's going to allow that that piece of tech to be in multiple homes instead of it just being in homes of people that want to try something different. Microsoft is onto something, but I just feel that they're missing that one piece of tech that's going to bring it all together. While I do applaud them for the voice technology, being able to search and do things like that, and that's a step in the right direction, it still feels like they're missing something that makes the Connect that must-own piece of tech. Maybe it's a game, maybe it's a new level of functionality, but something truly does feel amiss. Let's talk about these MPD numbers. There's a there's a lot going on, and there's a lot of insane numbers that we want to talk about. And honestly, this is just the tip of the iceberg because I can imagine what the December numbers are going to look like. November marked the best November on on record for sales of new physical content, according to MPD analyst Anita Frazier. She did add that there was a decline in average retail pricing in all categories, except, of course, portable hardware. The Xbox 360 had a huge month, according to Frazier. The gap between 360 sales and sales of the next best-selling platform was the largest we've seen since December 2008, when the Nintendo DS was the top-selling system. Aaron Greenberg, the Microsoft chief of Interactive Entertainment, stated that the Xbox 360 sold 1.7 million consoles during the month of November, which is an increase of 23%. Nintendo sold 860,000 Wiis, 795,000 3DS units, and 350,000 DS units. Sony didn't give out their exact numbers, but they did go on record stating that they had a phenomenal start to the holiday season and the best ever Black Friday sales period in the console's five-year history. According to the MPD report, PS3 saw a 70% increase in hardware and a 30% increase in software year over year. Now, when you want to get into the meat and potatoes, you want to talk about titles. What were some of the best-selling titles for the month of November? Modern Warfare 3 was the number one title. It beat last year's Black Ops by about 7%. Skyrim was second place on multiple consoles. Battlefield 3 was third. Assassin's Creed Revelations was 4th, Just Dance for the Wii and the 360 was 5th, Dat Madden was number 6, Uncharted 3 Drake's Deception was 7, Saints Row the 3rd was 8, The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword was 9, and Batman Arkham City closed things out at number 10. Now the craziest thing out of all that is the fact that Modern Warfare also went into the history books. The game is one, is is once again a billion dollar franchise title. The game has sold over 1 billion dollars within 16 days of launch. Of course, they made sure to note that Avatar reached that same feat in 17 days and of course, they wanted to make sure to remind everybody that Modern Warfare did it a day earlier. The statement released acknowledging their great milestone went as follows. Engagement of our Call of Duty audience continues to rise around around the world, said Bobby Kotick, CEO of Activision Blizzard. 
Call of Duty is an entertainment franchise as an entertainment franchise has made an indelible mark on popular culture, and its broad and continued success is further validation that audiences increasingly value interactive experiences over passive ones. Now, I'll be I'll be 100% honest and say that the kudos are warranted and congratulations to them for making a billion dollars, but it really is the same game with a fresher coat of paint. I'm sorry. You know, I've gone on record as calling it Madden Warfare. Everybody says it's fun to play, and, and I'm not taking anything away from that. I recently played Black Ops, which I had got from Gamefly, which will be in our Gamefly Q review at some point this week. And I will say, the gameplay is fun, it's engaging, and that's great. But it feels very repetitive, and like I said, it's almost like it's the same game with a fresh coat of paint. Is it worthy of making the billion dollars? Sure. Could they have done more with the with the series? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, you go and you shell out 60 bucks and you're fueling that machine. It's as simple as that. To go and make sure to remind everybody that it did it a day earlier than Avatar, you have to also take into consideration that that milestone, while it is nice, should have an asterisk only on the basis of price. To go and see Avatar in the theater, it wasn't costing you $60. There's there's a huge discrepancy in that. Of course you're going to reach a billion dollars and it's a huge milestone. But you also had at least $20 more, $20 to $25 more in profit there. Because think about this. You go to see a movie in IMAX with your spouse. Each ticket is roughly $20, $20 $22 a person. You spend $44. That's still cheaper than any console game. So while it is a great milestone to reach a billion dollars, you did have a couple of extra dollars in there to hit to help you hit that milestone. So yeah, you want to toot your own horn, that's great. But do remember that there is an issue of price discrepancy between seeing an IMAX film and buying a video game. It's as simple as that. I just wanted to throw that out there because yeah, you know, rah, 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 we sold... A billion dollars worth of shit. We're better than Avatar. We're fucking awesome. Yeah, congrats. But you also had a couple of dollars in there padding that along. Just something I wanted to throw out there for some food for thought. Let's talk about the VGA Awards. As I mentioned earlier in the opening monologue, they were what they were. Some of the titles that were given out, I mean, some of the awards that were given out, obviously will come as not a surprise to many of you, but I just wanted to go through and share my thoughts Game of the Year, the big award, went to Skyrim. You can you can call it what it is. Some people were super ecstatic. Others felt that there were other games that, that were more deserving. But Skyrim is your Game of the Year. Studio of the Year is Bethesda. Character of the Year was the Joker for Batman Arkham City, which it, it boggles my mind that Mark Hamill didn't get the acknowledgement he deserved for that because he really was the driving force for that character. The Video Game Hall of Fame Award went to The Legend of Zelda. I have no problem with this. The Gamer God Award went to Blizzard Entertainment. The best Xbox 360 game was Batman Arkham City. I, I take issue with this because the Batman Arkham City on the PlayStation 3 seemed a little smoother. You could have done something more with Xbox 360. There were plenty of other games that you could have put in that title. But... It is what it is. The best PS3 game, the honors went to Uncharted 3, Drake's Deception. The best Wii game, 
went to Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. Big fucking shocker considering it was the only game released. Best PC game went to Portal 2. Best handheld mobile game went to Super Mario 3D Land, which, I don't know, it's been out three weeks before the awards were, were, were done. Best shooter, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, huge shock. Best action adventure game, Batman Arkham City. Best RPG was Skyrim, again, a no-brainer. Best multiplayer was Portal 2. Best individual sports game went to Fight Night Champion. Best team sports game was NBA 2K12. Again, I have no issue with that. Best driving game, Forza Forza Motorsports. Wow, Forza. Fuck that up. (laughs) Forza Motorsports 4 was your best driving game. Best fighting game went to Mortal Kombat. There were huge, huge arguments about that because people felt that, you know, Super Street Fighter 4 could have got that honor. Um, But Mortal Kombat seemed to have been... The, the one they were leaning towards only because, obviously, it was the rebirth of a franchise we all know. Best motion game was The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. This category makes absolutely no fucking sense. Best indie game was Minecraft. Best adapted video game was Batman Arkham City, obviously, because most adaptations suck. Best song in a game was from Bastion. Best original score was Bastion, which is fine. Best graphics, Uncharted 3. No problem. Best performance by human male was Stephen Merchant as Wheatley in Portal 2. His uh, co-star, Ellen McClain, also got the award for best performance by a human female. Best downloadable game went to Bastion. Again, going back to best performance by a human male, it should have gone to Mark Hamill. I agree with Slick 100%. He reminded me of that in the chat, and I have to agree. Should have gone to him and his co-star who was the voice of Harley. It could have even gone to Kevin Conroy for Batman, but Mark Hamill did a phenomenal job and should have been awarded best performance by a human male. Best DLC went to Portal. Most anticipated game went to Dat Mass, Mass Effect 3. GameTrailers.com's trailer of the year was Assassin's Creed Revelations, and the EA Sports NFL Blitz digital cover athlete was Ray Rice. There were probably a ton of crickets chirping with that because nobody really gave a shit. I personally feel like I said the awards had their high points and their low points. Make of it what you will. If you have any questions or concerns or if you want to sound off, 347-324-3541 is the number. And you can share your thoughts. Nintendo's actually released some games for their first quarter of 2012. Which, you know, considering what Nintendo's been putting out lately, they really need to do something big. First off, Kid Icarus's Uprising will be available on the 3DS March 23rd. March will also be getting Mario Party 9 on the Wii, which will be available March 11th. They're still making Mario Part, I mean Mario Park, Mario Party 9, sorry. That's going to be coming out March 11th. A few weeks before that, though, you'll be able to play Poke Park. That's where I got to confuse Poke Park 2 Wonders Beyond, that's going to be on the Wii. That'll be February 27th. For those of you with the 3DS, you're going to get updates on the eShop. You're going to get Frozen Pinball, Mutant Muds, and a couple of other games coming out during the quarter. I've just been informed that Slick is on the line. I'm sure he's he has much to share with regards to the VGAs, so let me bring him on. Slick, what do you got to add, brother? What's up, man? Nothing much. 
what you a, know my opinion on the NGAs. Oh yeah, we we we've discussed this at length. You know, it's it's a, it's it's a giant commercial. It is a stroke job for publishers, but. On the same note, it does at least give mainstream exposure to the genres as a whole. But what do you got for us? I mean, honestly, I'm shocked that they gave Skyrim Game of the Year, a game that actually, you know, at least mildly deserves the award. I'm surprised it didn't go to Madden. <laughs> I think had the award gone to Madden, there might have been riots in the streets. Well, they've done it before. They have done it before. There's no arguing that. But um, what I really wanted to talk about was a trailer that popped up from the Spike VGA, a game from Naughty Dog, you know, the makers of Uncharted, called The Last of Us. Yep, that game looks amazing. That game looks nuts. I mean, I don't know exactly what it's about. It doesn't look like it's so much zombies and it's just maybe insane people. It looks like you're playing 28 Days Later. I definitely saw the the similarities between 28 Days Later, but it also reminded me of the the movie with Will Smith. The way yeah, that they because those things didn't really come out in the daytime. No, 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 not that. But the way they showed the abandoned city and it was all overgrown and stuff, that was more shades of what happened in the Will Smith film. The game, the, when I saw the overgrown city, as far as the game, I thought more of enslaved attitude of the West. Ah, I haven't played that. Okay. Because the that type of scenery is more from that, even though in that game it's even more overgrown. Gotcha. But I like the character dynamic of, you know, two two characters where one's backing the other up, obviously. Well, not obviously, but I think it would make sense if either the, one of the characters is an AI, or you have the option to play with, you know, somebody else. Maybe they might introduce more characters. It seems sort of like a, a another version of, you know, Left 4 Dead or Dead Island, but there's nothing wrong with that because I love both of those games. Yeah, I think I think that Naughty Dog, they've really reached their their apex with the Uncharted series, obviously with 3 and the PlayStation Vita version, they're, they're, they've reached that level where they've told as much of the story as they can tell. There's obviously plenty more that you can do with Nathan Drake, but I am I, I really applaud them for looking at creating something new and something fresh. Absolutely. Let's not beat the fucking dead horse. Well, while I have you, while I have you on the air, I did want to run two, two bits of gaming news by you. And that is especially because you're a 3DS gamer. How do you feel about the circle pad that they're going to be releasing for it? Because it's going to be coming out February 7th, and the add-on is going to cost 20 bucks. As of right now, Resident Evil Revelations and Metal Gear Solid 3D Snake Eater are the first two games that will be making use of that. How do you feel about that addition to a console, which has a pretty attractive size now, but with this additional add-on is going to be definitely bigger? I really have no words because I, I honestly haven't seen it yet. But it's like two games that you announced before the console even came out, you need an add-on to play them. That's fucking retarded to me. 
Well, th- that whole addition of the second analog stick bugged me out because I was like, well, why didn't you, you guys just do that in the first place? <laughs> exactly. That's what I mean. To some extent, I know Snake Eater was supposed to have been playable at last year's E3 when they announced it, or they showed somebody playing it, or they showed a demo or something. So I'm like, the original 3DS can't play the game properly. Why? Yeah, it's crazy, man. And then it's it, once again, it's increasing the cost to own because you have your $170 console, which is now back to a $190 console because you're going to need the Circle Pad Pro unless they're going to, of course, release a redesigned console at some point with the Circle Pad or, you know, with probably a little longer with the Circle Pad included, which I yeah, see it coming. The 3DSi XL. <laughs> that we should patent that to see if they'll buy the URL from you, the 3DSi XL. The 3DSi GSY, go fuck yourself edition. There you go. They'll probably they'll probably call it the 3DS Pro because they you know they're calling the add-on the Circle Pad Pro. That's like that's like Nintendo. I gotta give you a ticket. Yep, they go. They go yeah, one step forward, two steps back. A, you're driving in a 55 e dick limit, and you, you're going way over. <laughs> well, the last bit of movie news—I mean, the last bit of gaming news, which which is double dipping—but I wanted to get your thoughts on was that Capcom is releasing a digital collection this spring. It's going to be 39.99, and it's going to feature eight of their Xbox Live Arcade games. It's only going to be available on the 360, and these are the games you're getting. And I'm sure you're going to get annoyed as soon as you hear this. 1942 Joint Strike, Bionic Commando Rearmed 2, Final Fight Double Impact, Flock, Rockman Rockman Axis of Evil, and Rockman It Came From Uranus Expansion, (laughs) Super Puzzle Fighter 2 HD Remix, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo HD Remix, and Wolf of the Battlefield Commando 3. Thoughts? Anybody who gives a fuck about any of those games already bought them. Right. The only people who would possibly buy that game would be, I don't know how, but they're just buying a 360 for the first time. I think... And I I really don't see the title going anywhere. I think Super Puzzle Fighter 2 will definitely get people's attention only because that was a game that kind of sle- fell through the cracks but has a huge following. But again, to go back to what you said, if you haven't got it on Xbox Live yet, you know, what the fuck are you waiting for? What they may do is probably... I'm not, not shitting on the game individually, right. but you can still get Super Puzzle Fighter from, you know, Xbox Live. Right. It's just another cash grab. You know how it goes. It's like, why would I spend... I don't know anybody. And I'm sure there is somebody there. I don't know anybody who wants all of those games. Nope. I, I own Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, and I own Super Puzzle Fighter already. Yeah. So, you know? Final Fight Double Impact? Eh, maybe. But if you're going to give me Bionic Commando Rearmed 2, why don't you just give me Bionic Commando Rearmed 1 while you're at it? Like, that doesn't make any sense. You know, Here, we'll give you part two, but what about part one? Ah, uh, you know, fuck part one. That's pretty much it. Ah, uh, you don't need it. Fuck you. Take these games and be happy. 
Madness. There you go. Anything else you want to add, my friend? No, not for the video games. All right, man. We're going to try and do the sprint here to wrap things up. Yeah, 25 minutes, you'll make it. You got it. All right, brother. Thanks. All right, man. Peace. Peace. All right. With that said, movie news. Let's hit it. Now, I'm sure you guys are going to either consider this a big bit of what the fuck movie news or you're going to just be like, "Eh, it was to be accept. It was it was to be expected." Ice Cube has confirmed that there will be a new Friday movie. And he wants to bring back the original cast. According to Cube Vision Productions, they've gone on record as stating that absolutely yes, the studio's in the process of getting the entire original cast to do another Friday. Ice Cube is said to be very excited about this and has every intention of making it happen. For some of you, total excitement. For some of you, groans. And for others, why the fuck are you even doing another Friday? But the Friday films fall into that gray area where they, they have a cult following, so... I mean, if you're going to build on the same films and do them when they're older and maybe keep it just as funny, I don't know. I mean, Friday Friday's a guilty pleasure. I never get, really get tired of watching it, but the first Friday is the best Friday. I mean, the second one was funny, but the first one is a fucking classic. I really don't think Hollywood can top that, but we'll see what happens. In some remake news, it seems that the Evil Dead remake has been dated it's going to be released April 12, 2013. It's going to be directed by Fed Alvarez and produced by Sam Raimi. Bruce Campbell is going to be involved with Rob Tapert and they're going to begin they're going to begin shooting it this March in New Zealand. In some box office numbers, New Year's Eve was number 1, The Sitter was number 2, The Twilight Saga was number 3, The Muppets was 4, Arthur Christmas was 5, Hugo was 6. The Descendants was 7, Happy Feet 2 was 8, Jack and Jill was 9, and The Immortals was 10. I'm sure with the holiday season right around the corner, we're going to see a huge shift in box office numbers with Mission Impossible and a couple of other films that are definitely going to get people's attention. Mission Impossible, of course, if you go see it in certain theaters, you'll be able to see the first six minutes of The Dark Knight, which I've seen, and... A lot of people are are assuming that the movie's not going to be as good as the second one based off six minutes of footage. I really got to tell those people that you need to get a fucking clue. You know, you can't establish a relationship with a person in six minutes, much less feel that a movie is going to be great based on six minutes. It's stupid. Anybody that assumes that this movie's going to suck based on six minutes of footage should really take a look in the mirror possibly break it and cut their own throat with a shard of the glass seriously who assumes that six minutes of footage are a measuring stick for any fucking film it's stupid and it's asinine and i saw it all over the message boards oh it looked kind of whack oh what the hell is wrong with bane 
Why, why does this look like this? What the fuck is going on with Batman? Why does Christian Bale's voice not change? All shit that's baseless and stupid. It's ridiculous. I understand if you have issue with Bane's character, but why don't you give the movie a chance to see the development of the character? I've read some of the interviews that Nolan's put out describing the Bane character and the thought process on bringing him to the silver screen, and I'm actually really pumped to see it because there is a level of real-world application there. It's stupid. It really is absurd that that anybody that's that's following this film would make... Uh, an educated assumption on based on six minutes of footage. It's depressing. It's like some people really need to get off their fucking high horse and give the shit a chance. Don't get me wrong. I watch trailers and the movies look like complete dog shit. If I'm wrong after I see them, I will gladly admit it. Hey, this movie was kind of funny. I watched the trailer for The Three Stooges. The Three Stooges is probably going to be the biggest piece of dog shit this side of any dog shit you've seen in the last seven days. But I, I got to admit, I chuckled. I chuckled a few times. There were a couple of physical gags that were a throwback to the original Stooges. Do I admit that it's going to suck? Absolutely. Did I laugh? Yes. Simple as that. It doesn't make me a bad guy. It just makes me somebody that saw the trailer, chuckled. Am I going to go and put money in the box office to see it? Hell no. But did I laugh? Yes. That's all I gotta say. But really, the, the, you, if you guys go on any of these film message boards, you'll see these these armchair quarterbacks. Oh, the fucking six minutes, man. This movie's gonna suck. It's like, these were the same people that saw the Joker and thought it was gonna suck because Heath Ledger did a shitty job. And needless to say, these are the same people that wish that they could dig up Heath Ledger's coffin and sleep with him. Same ones. Oh, Heath Ledger's the man, yo. Now when they thought he was going to be garbage the first time around. I was guilty of that. I was like, eh, I don't know how I feel about it. I didn't say he sucked, but I was like, eh. It's, he's, a, he's the most random actor ever to choose. I admit that freely and with a, and, and 100%. Handel's going to be excited about this. DC Universe is releasing a new animated film February 28th. The film is going to be Justice League Doom. Has a great voice cast. Nathan Fillion as Green Lantern. Tim Daly, Superman. as uh, Tim Daly as Superman. Kevin Conroy as Batman. Michael Rosenbaum as The Flash. Susan Eisenberg is going to be Wonder Woman. And basically this film is following the Dark Knight contingency plan. Which was from the comic books where the supervillains discover the Dark Knight's plan on dealing with the heroes and decides to implement it. So it's going to follow that comic book, well, that comic book plot, and the characters that are going to be involved are Superman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, Martian Manhunter, Cyborg, and Batman. Slick informed me that that is the original cast, but I haven't seen all of the DC animated films, so I appreciate Slick giving me the heads up. I have to admit, it's it's an awesome voice cast. And I'm actually going to check this out. I haven't had the opportunity to see too many of the DC films. I saw the uh, Superman Batman Apocalypse and I was blown away by it. I actually saw it on Netflix and was amazed at how well of a great job they did. I do want to see Batman Year One. That's on my to-do list. And hopefully I'll review that at some point as well. Until then, you can see Slick's review on the site. But I am excited for this DVD Blu-ray combo pack February 28th. 
The DVD, you're going to get the ultraviolet digital copy as well. And they're going to show you a sneak preview of Superman vs. the Elite, which is the next DC Universe animated movie. So definitely some awesome bonuses there. Last but not least, I had discussed that the director for Thor had been fired or, you know, given her walking papers or disagreements. However, whatever Hollywood jargon helps you sleep at night, it happened. Now, the problem with this is that Natalie Portman introduced that director to the the production company to get the film started. And obviously, she is not happy with the outcome. As of right now, there's a short list of potential directors being looked at by Marvel Studios, including uh, Danu uh, Minhenfor from the Game of from Game of Thrones and True Blood. They're also looking at Alan Taylor, who did Game of Thrones and The Sopranos, and they're also looking for a writer who will be replacing Don Payne, who has drafted a treatment for the sequel. As of right now, they're looking at John Colley, Robert Rodat, and Roger Avery. Of course, the returning cast are coming back, Chris Hemsworth, Tom Hiddleston, and Natalie Portman. So, that's a plus. But Thor 2 is going to be taking place after the Avengers. I think that they will have plenty of time to get a director in there. I don't know why they didn't re-sign Kenneth Branagh. I don't understand where that fell apart. And Thor wasn't a bad movie. On the contrary, it was it was very well done. I'd actually there's a part of me that almost feels that it was a, a smidge better than Captain America, just a smidge. But I guess they they had a falling out with the directors and the writers, which is sad because, like I said, Eric Bra- um, Kevin Branagh, Kenneth Branagh, sorry, did a fantastic job, and I'm bummed to see this this going the direction it's going in because it's going to end up hurting the franchise down the road especially after whatever gets done with the avengers if they do a great job with it then you kind of shift gears and do thor and it's not as good i think that's going to definitely impact the franchise in a huge way well ladies and gents that's it for this week's for this week's show and i am running on fumes i don't understand how i just did the last 10 minutes of show with my eyes closed, but that seems to be the name of the game. Anyway, to close things up, you've just heard My Take Radio episode 120 for Thursday, December 15th, 2011. If you're interested in being a guest or have any questions or concerns, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If you want to leave a voicemail on our feedback line, 347-8150-MTR, 347-815-0687. We are on all of your favorite social networks. You can follow us on Twitter, My Take Radio. You can follow me personally, Rich underscore MTR. We are on MySpace, which I'm shocked is not dead yet. You can become a fan on our Facebook fan page. Ask questions on Formspring, formspring.me forward slash radio. Add us to your circle on Google+. We are there. Follow us on Get Glue. Make sure to check in every week. Hopefully the stickers will be live at some point, And we can all be excited about being rewarded for listening to the show. If you want to support MTR, you can get the MTR app for your Android or iOS device. It's $1.99. Gives you access to 96K stereo episodes of My Take Radio. You'll also get MTR Behind the Mic and MTR Beyond the Mic. The other alternative to that is using the Stitcher app, which was the sponsor for the show this week. 
Stitcher.com forward slash my take. Enter the my take promo code and you'll be eligible to win a $100 gift card courtesy of Stitcher and MTR. Last but not least, if you want other places to listen to MTR, you have a plethora of options. Besides the Blog Talk Radio feed, which has really shitty audio, you can listen to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Zoom Marketplace, BlackBerry Podcasts, Miro Marketplace, Blueberry, uh, Podio, Podcast Pickle, and a host of other podcatchers. So you'll be able to get new episodes of MTR that way. But if for whatever reason you have any issues, please feel free to email me at mtrhost@mytakeradio.com, and I will make sure to find a good solution for you. Next week will be a regular show as usual. We may have a guest, we may not, and we may just be, and that may just be the last show of 2011. I want to just take a moment, thank our guests for coming through. Shoutouts to Kevin uh, Theobald. Calvin Theobald, sorry, and Jordan Levinson from King of Chinatown. And make sure to head over to kingofchinatown.com. You can also follow them on Twitter, King of Chinatown, and look for them on Facebook as well. All right, guys, I'm out. I'm going to try and get some sleep. See you guys next week. Peace. What music is taking us out this week? I think I'm just going to make the pick with my eyes closed. Nah, let me not do that, because that'll suck. I think we're going to go with the Super Street Fighter for Time to Oil Up from ocremix.org. Make sure to check them out for all of the intros and outros that we've used in previous episodes.